Hey friends, it's Justin Crawford, and you clicked on the Men of the Hour podcast for the final time in 2021. Twenty twenty two is just a few days away from us, and I wanted to produce an episode of our best conversations from the past year, so I hand selected the top episode from each season. And if you didn't hear them the first time, then you're really gonna love this jam-packed episode today filled with inspiration, life lessons, and great energy as we ring in the new year. To start things off, let's go back to February with TikTok's most followed man. He's got loads of creativity up his sleeve and is someone whose work-life balance will certainly inspire yours. Here is Zach King and his episode, Create More Than You Consume and Keep Your Eye on the Prize. Hey everybody, I'm Zach King and uh, apparently I'm the man of the hour today. You're listening to the Men of the Hour podcast, and boys, today's episode going to be a good one. Zach King is here. He's a filmmaker, illusionist, and internet sensation. Now, when I say internet sensation, I mean he has literally redefined what one can build online with content from YouTube to Vine to TikTok to Instagram. He's been on all the platforms, and he's dominated all the platforms. You know, he's made us laugh, feel inspired, and wonder how he's able to come up with the most creative concepts and bring them to life. Zach uncovers all of it right now with me, plus even opens up about some things you might not have known about this content king. Zach, thank you for being here. Um, I have to tell you, thank you. It's been months that we've been trying to get you on the show and you're here, you made it, and we're so thankful to have you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to chat with you this morning. Let's do it, man. I want to start from the beginning. I, I Listen, I would start at the Guinness World Record, but that is, that's where you're at now, right? That's you're the end born, of the story. Yeah, that's, that's where it all goes downhill from there. You were born and raised in Oregon, but you've always yep. known, Zach King, that you have wanted to have your hands on a camera, editing content, somewhat make people kind of see some, something cool for the most part with video content for so long. Can you walk us through at the very beginning of when you were younger, even with those, the home video cameras, if you, if you know those, that's, that's what you got your hands first dirty with, right? And then where did it go from there? So it's for anyone actually watching on, on the video platform, um, I have a little, this is my, my first video camera. I was actually just, we just, I know it's massive, right? Like when, when, if you're listening on audio, this thing is like five or six times the body of an X, like a, a normal DSLR that you use, you know, it's like probably 20 iPhones, the weight of them. Um, but that, that's what I used to shoot with. And, um, the reason I have this out is cause I, we just hit 10 million followers, uh, subscribers on YouTube. And so I'm working on this video with one of my editors where it's just going to be a thank you to the audience, like over the years. And, and it has some of the early footage of me saying, you know, I want to be like Steven Spielberg someday. That's the ultimate dream. And, and I, I, I forgot that I had said that, but that was kind of my mantra back in the day. And when I was distilling it over this week of like, what what was I meaning by saying that? Because it was kind of, a, I mean, that's a very particular thing to be like, I want to be like this person. Right. And if I were to kind of figure out, work backwards of what I was thinking, it was really about entertaining people. It was about, you know, I loved Spielberg, had a massive audience. I loved his style of work and his whole body of work. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I did love that the fact that people would go to the movie theater. That's where I would go see, you know, some of his films. Um, you know, in the late nineties and, and early two thousands, anything he was making, I was going to see that with my family. And I love that whole experience. So it was really about entertaining people. It was about kind of finding that middle ground of what do I love making? What do people love watching? And then living in that space. And so in a weird way, 
you know, I'm not doing that. Like I'm not making movies for the big screen. Right. I haven't accomplished my goal of becoming, you know, like Spielberg, but really that goal's changed yeah. and uh, kind of iterated itself over the years. But in, in an also strange way where you are making videos for like millions of people, but it's just on the small screen now. It's like the opposite of what I thought I'd be doing. It's like that in and of itself is a evolution that you've kind of seen unfold because we're in a digital era now, but that started way back when, even when you were still thinking about uh, the first project and maybe editing that, uh, it's, you're right, it's a different form of what Spielberg was doing, uh, which is so interesting. But did you see it kind of folding out or unfolding uh, this way over the years? I mean, there, there's no way anyone can ever predict what's going to unfold. I even look at, you know, the people I looked up to and, and, and when you read their biographies now, it makes sense to me. Like yep. they picked up cameras and they had no idea the mediums that would uh, come in their careers at play and, and the little yeah. pieces of luck that they would hit. But um, no, you, you can never predict it. But my, what I really believe is if you're creating more than you're consuming, you're able to really um, lean into what right. you like. You'll, you'll find that intersection of what people love and what, what you like making. Um, that just takes kind of years of, of putting in that time and um, continuing at it. Yeah, you certainly put in the time. I think part of what has made you, from my from my perspective, after watching you all these years, what's made you almost peak at your success, not only with your brand, your content, your team, being a boss, being a dad. I mean, your Rolodex of who you are as a person now, Zach, has like just been, it's a plethora of things and you know that better than I do. But it's also this idea that you constantly find white space, things that people aren't doing. Um, you know, there could be other illusionists and other magicians and other content creators out there. And you're right. Sometimes it comes down to maybe you're not watching them. So I'm curious to ask you, you know, as, as much as you're creating, are you ever looking to the side when, when thinking about the next project, uh, maybe for inspiration or to see what other people are doing? Or do you just hope that when you turn on the camera and start editing content, that it's ultimately in that white space? Because we think when I see Zach King's content, I'm like that no one would have thought of that except for you. Yeah, I mean, I, I I really don't believe in originality. There there is there is such a thing. I, I just know I'm not in that category of original. But some people would view it at, at, at that. Um, but what's interesting to me is like if you look at my work uh, and you really study it, we put homages to some of the people we do draw inspirations from: uh, Charlie Chaplin, yeah. George Méliès, like some of the great filmmakers, even Al Alfred Hitchcock. We have little just tiny things in there that you may recognize um, little Easter eggs from camera moves to um, and even um, Buster Keaton, a person we look up to, like he did magic tricks. These people were all filmmakers, but they were using even the original jump cut when they figured out uh, on the editing room floor that they could take film and splice it together. Like they were like, kind of like what I did on Vine. It was like, wait, I could add two clips. Like what if I'm literally gone the next clip and it looks like I disappear. Like yeah. it was that kind of basic, uh, but you know, I love that. And we're kind of taking the form. And I like to think, hmm. you know, if Buster Keaton was around today and he had the he had the Vine app or TikTok or whatever the current thing is, like, how would they play with these tools? They would probably, you know, take it beyond obviously dancing or or the typical things. And uh, that, and that's kind of the white space that I, we do like to play in. Um, but, you know, I, I, we do draw on a lot of different inspirations. We're not as much um, consuming i'm not as much consuming content i, I do watch some youtubers sure. unrelated to what i do and I, I don't really watch any magicians or because i don't consider myself a magician you know i'll watch david blaine's uh newest stunt or, or illusion or whatever they're up to yeah um because because their stuff is fabulous and i love their ideas yeah but, you know i don't 
I don't draw upon it like I'm a magician trying to figure out their secrets or anything like that. No, so yeah, I, I play more in the filmmaking world, but I really, my playground or that, that white space for me is like, what do I find fascinating? Because those have always been the times that I'm able to break new ground creatively. Um, so when Vine came out, that was a big one. It was like, wow, six seconds. It was, it was actually like, kind of like a limited playground in a way. Like it was like, here's your walls, play within here. But I love that because it's like, wait, I, I have the same limitations as everyone else. Like, what can I do that's a little bit different? Like, what is no one else doing? That'd be fun. And, uh, you know, even when Snapchat came out years ago and it was like, well, these disappear. It was like, well, that's cool. Like, is there something we can, is there a way we can uh, make these? I remember, you know, there's a million platforms too. Everyone knows this for like being huge on TikTok or huge on Instagram, but there's a lot of platforms that have come and go. I don't remember if you um, remember Meerkat or Periscope, but these were like, yeah live streaming platforms and in the beginning we were like how do you um like, could you make a feature film on these things like no one will do that uh they're all going to do news and journalism but for me it was like how do you do something that no one's going to one put the production value into or or spend the time doing and let's let's do some of those so there's a lot of things yeah. that we've done that just no one sees they never turned out they weren't successes but um for the white space that we do play in uh oftentimes um, we get a few breaks and 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 that's really fun. So the new one, like this week, yeah, that again, like I don't think I, I'm gonna say it, and you, there's no way that you've probably thought about this this week, but like Snapchat has spectacles. And I, I think you'd remember a few years ago they came out and they were putting vending machines around the right. world where people could get these. They're basically lenses that have cameras in them. But uh, the Snapchat team sent me one, and I, I was like, what? They're still making these? Like they're on iteration three. I'd never heard of them for years and I used them I put them on and all of a sudden like I can't tell you how this rush of creativity uh came to me and it was like oh my gosh we can shoot from my my eyes are basically the camera like what I see I usually don't have this this camera perspective the camera's usually on me like okay, yeah one there's a whole range of tricks we could do here but that aside is there just some creative storytelling we can do here uh, that maybe, you know, forget the magic, like just mm. as a filmmaker, we could geek out on for a little bit. So um, I've been wearing them every day for a couple of weeks, just trying to record stuff. And I've caught some weird stuff by accident too. Like I've caught a car crash. I've caught my team dropping a lens on set, like just weird things from my perspective that I always wish I could record. And now I have some of that. So I don't know, like, that's onto it. So I'll follow that. And you know what, it'll probably like, Sadly, it's one of those texts that may never work out or just there's so many different players, you never know. Um, it's kind of a gamble, but for me as a creative, I like am drawn to the things that just bring out my creative ideas a little bit more and I lean into those. And that is the, that's the whole secret to the success. So we can, you know, your, your viewers can bum, end bum, here. Bum, bum. Yeah, that's, that's the whole, that's all the secret sauce. <laughs> so we can just end the podcast. You just right. gave us everything. I think yeah, we, we got did. the good stuff out. That's the gold. Zach, part of being a creator, I feel like you also get to meet a lot of creative people, uh, other YouTubers, other TikTokers, other Instagrammers, but you, you're, you're one I know a lot of people are looking at and saying, whoa, that's Zach King. When you do meet other people, I mean, this might've been pre-COVID, I don't know if you still able to wave at people six feet away maybe, or when you meet fans maybe during you know Zoom calls or whatever you guys have set up on your end for, for fan experiences, but uh, it better not be OnlyFans. No, I'm kidding. We literally talked about that the other day with some guests. I'm like, listen, I don't care about OnlyFans. Y'all can have your own. But uh, when you think about when, you, when you're connecting with other creators, what are some of the first things that they say to you? Yeah, I, I mean, there's a lot of creators that, and it was the way that I 
viewed, you know, some of the creators I looked up to uh, uh, back in the day when I started YouTube, it was, uh, I mean, some of the OG ones were OG. like, I was seeing I Justine or uh, Freddie Wong or um, these channels that were pioneering the way yeah. for YouTube. And, and honestly, not back then they weren't getting paid. It was just like, they loved the craft of it. That's when I started before there was AdSense. And um, it was fun. It was, and there was no roadmap. And I still think there's really not a roadmap even for for what's it's it's become more of a thing like i don't have to explain to my parents anymore what i'm doing they get it yeah. but uh there Fine. is no <laughs> still in the career uh, for yeah. for being a youtuber or an online creator but i i think there are things that that work but when i meet creators you know my my favorite thing to do is talk about like what's working for them mm -hmm. and really trying to find out you know a lot of creators are really they're just artists um, that have found they have a voice and they put it online and then that's resonated. It's just a different place. They put it, you know, in the past, yeah. historically people would have maybe gone to writing or, uh, just music or, um, but the internet gives you instant, you know, access to, to people, which is kind of the different thing. When I meet creators today, they're a lot of them overnight successes, or, or it looks like that. Like they just hit a wave really quickly. Um, yeah. and so uh, I like to just talk about their career and especially getting, um, you know, it's the place I was probably a, a couple of years ago where it was like, do I, do I hire a team? Do I hire a management? Do I, um, like I love walking young creators through that. Like when they're on their first couple employee hires or sure. um, setting up their business or, or really if they're questioning that, wait, can I make this a full-time thing? And that's kind of the, uh, a crossroads. I find a lot of creators, uh, and sadly some don't, you know, choose that they choose to go back to what is proven throughout the years getting a stable nine to five job and yeah. and that and that's fine but sometimes i'm looking at them like if you literally if you spend two more years grinding it out the way you're doing it things will work out for you like you will have discovered a lot more of your your brand or your voice or what you love doing you'll build it find audience and, and know who you love talking to and then um but it's kind of you have to there's a point where you have to make a leap a little bit and it's a leap of faith mm -hmm. to then turn that passion into a paycheck you just got to my next point here too. I wanted to ask you about when this world of content creating is, it's not just, it's not oversaturated. I wouldn't say it's just, everybody's doing it. A lot of people are doing it in different ways and it could leave someone very reserved to try to take that leap of faith. When you did that, what were some of those first steps before you built the team, even before thinking of the team? I and mean, we, we have a team at the show now. And when I thought about it, I was like, yeah, I mean, you could start something and not have a team. You could do a lot on your own still and yeah. really start making some money. How'd you do it? I started with, um, in, in film school, um, during that time in college, um, I started training people. So I was like, I need to make a business to help pay for my film projects. And I wasn't trying to fund anything crazy. I was like, if I could fund uh, a $2,000 project to $5,000, it slowly grew um, for each film project. But um, YouTube was not providing AdSense at the time. So it was just, um, hey, I'm gonna do DVD. It's actually what people are doing now, courses. I did courses, but it was back when I was mailing them out of my dorm room, I had DVDs. I would go to the printer press and come back and ship them out. And so people were buying like for a hundred bucks, I think it was, you got a two DVD course, had eight hours of training and it was for editing software. So I was teaching yeah. Final Cut Pro, Motion, DVD Studio Pro, like software that sadly isn't in existence anymore. Yeah. Um, but I was teaching just editing and, and what I was learning in film school and putting that on DVDs and mailing it out. And not only, you know, I paid through my, my whole college tuition doing that, but then I had a small nest egg so that when I did make the, the graduation leap, um, YouTube was one in a place where it started monetizing. Sure. I, it was really little though for me, that was never gonna be a full-time thing. 
it was just um, supplementary and you kind of paid for lunches. And, and that's how I was checking it off. Like, sweet, I get to have a $10 lunch every day now. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, paid by YouTube. Amazing. Yep. Um, but Thanks, then the YouTube. DVD courses for me were my, my main source of income. I actually thought when I graduated, you know, I was dabbling in YouTube pretty in, full time. Yeah. Um, but the DVD courses what were paying the bills. So I was like, I might do this could be my career for the rest of my life. And I knew training, you know, uh, lynda.com was pretty massive. I remember then. that Linda, Linda with a Linda Y. And, uh, and I think Skillshare was just starting to come up. And I was like, uh, Udemy was up. And uh, I was like, you know, I could be a teacher for the rest. Like I just went from college. I guess I could go to teaching for the rest of my life. And, uh, <laughs> and then eventually build up a nest egg to build my own feature film or fund it. That was my goal. Um, but, you know, YouTube did take off around that time. But that gave me you know, that two to three year window after I graduated college was absolutely imp so important for me that I had a little, little nest egg. Yep. It wasn't much. I think it was like $30,000 in the bank to like pay. For I knew for two years I could live off that, um, maybe three years because um, I was so frugal and uh, I knew I could put the work into YouTube. I had no idea it would turn out, you know, the way it did with YouTube. But right. um, again, that was at the time, it was just really creative platform. I loved what I was seeing. Uh, for other creators do and and i had other mentors like like freddie wong and brandon lash and people to talk to about like how do i make this a potential thing how are you guys getting brand deals and and walking yeah. through that process yeah it is a process it's a huge process and you got to learn as you go i feel like as an entrepreneur i mean you are an entrepreneur already in college where most people probably take that step after they graduate for example but we're finding more and more in today's time zach that i think even in elementary school people are like I'm going to launch a small little business with my mom, you know, who knows? And it's all about what you really want to do and you could do it. You know, it's wild. I, I meet, um, you know, a, a whole range of fans, but some of my favorite interactions are these, and I'm blown away, these eight year olds to 12, <laughs> somewhere in that sweet spot. And these kids are like, Hey, so when I get home, I'm not doing my homework. You know, my, I'm having this battle with my parents. I want to start, I'm trying to start my business, uh, you know, from three, but they want right. me to do homework. And, and usually the parents, they're like listening and, but it's a, I'm so impressed by the kids. Like I started a software engineer thing and like, I have 10 customers. I'm like, Oh my God. And they're all, you know, they're like, we watch, I, I think a lot of it is this, the shark tank, tank generation. These yes. people who see it on TV, they see young kids go on that show. And, um, and you know, even with the whole stock market now, like a lot of these 12 year olds are becoming investors, which is a whole other thing. Uh, so <laughs> we don't, yeah, there's, cool I think the younger you can start, I mean, they have the tools to do it and reach the world. Um, there's a lot of responsibility, sure, that comes with that, but that to me is also on the parents right there. So, um, you know, I totally want my kids when they're whatever age they have a business idea, like put it online and and see if they can turn into something. That's a cool. That's like the best education. Yeah, never too early to start, man. Could you imagine? I wish when we were younger. Actually, I don't wish. I think our lives played out just fine. But if we were younger, should we have had some of these tools? You know what I mean? Because even Final Cut for back then was a simple tool. Now you got the cloud and the cloud is so, so much more complex and the tools are just there and the universe is at your fingertips with these things. And yeah. that's where we're at. Yeah, each generation seems like they have their own opportunities. Uh, yeah. Like for me, and I don't know if you did this, but I still had my versions of businesses. They were kind of more standard, but to pay off that first camera I showed you, which was $4,500, $5,000 or something like that, um, I mowed like hundreds and hundreds yes. of lawns and it was just like, I would, the, the thing was Microsoft word. I'd make a really cool flyer. 
I, and, and there's also yeah. something about like being 12 is really easy to get business. If you go up to a neighbor, like you're either sucking, suckering them into it, or like they have pity on you or they just want to support a kid. So, um, like I it's just like remember all the cookies, you know, like yes. how can you say no, even if the cookies weren't good, which they are. Um, but like these cute little elementary kids, like, will you buy a cookie? And you're like, oh, that smile. Okay. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> I, I grew up in a military base and I'll never forget doing paper boy work. Oh, I loved it. Cause I'd be in the snow. I like the snow in Japan. And I remember tossing and actually having a paper route, paper route. Yeah. It was a paper boy. And oh, around that, I always wanted a paper route. What was that like? You should, we should go do it. When I come out to LA, we're going to take like a paper were getting, route. I always imagined as a kid, paper route. Every time I threw the paper, it's like ka-ching 10 cents or yes. whatever. What, five Not cents. even that. Listen to this. They tip you very well. Because you're young, you're in the snow, you're giving them their daily paper. And so when you do make your routes to, I think at some point it was on the, maybe a bi-weekly or monthly basis, I would have to knock on their doors and resubscription. Do you want to continue with us? And they would always give me tips. And I'm talking $50, Zach. So same with what? you. When you get that cha-ching, man. That's wild. <laughs> but we were young. That's what we had to do. Remember? Paperboy stuff. Or I remember like uh, homemade cookie selling at a gas station on, on the Air Force Base in Japan, just being like, Hey, I'm going to go do like a cheerleading competition. And my mom and I would just go and it was a lot of friends. Don't get me wrong, but same to you. That's just what we did back then. Now it's like, Oh, let me start an online clothing business, get a merchandising company and right. All online. Yeah. It's wild. <laughs> and I mean, when I was a kid, I would, I would be sent to this music camp every summer for a month. Oh, and yeah, yeah. the first summer I was there, I had a breakthrough two weeks in, I realized that the store down the street sold these uh, lollipops for like 25 cents or 30 cents. And I bought a couple, brought them back. And my friends were like, dude, where'd you get those? Like, can I buy some? And I was like, oh yeah, it's a dollar each. So I bought two of them. I go back to the Why store I know you were gonna say morning and buy like the whole package of them, slowly <laughs> taking the classes. I'm like dealing them. You know, I'm just watching Breaking Bad with my uh, wife kid, right now. Yeah. And it feels like I was doing like a little Jesse Pinkman in, in music class with these lollipops, you know, and making Smart. a profit. But yeah, it's just profit, seeing man. opportunity in life. And, and, but I love that kids are, you know, being inspired young, but especially with yeah. having phones, like yeah. that's my thing. And that's why I come back to, you have to create more than can you consume because yeah. there is a large tendency. And I think it probably is harder today. Like when I watched Saturday morning cartoons, when I was a kid, my parents would like turn off the TV by 8am and it was like, okay, now you're going to go out inside and do something. Um, and not that that's not like parents that haven't changed a lot, but there mm -hmm. are more ways to consume readily available there's uh internet everywhere there's a lot of kids have phones or have access to ipads or whatever yeah. um and so my job and even i have two young kids i have a four-year-old and a three-year-old and it's amazing like they already tap on books and try to swipe like real life books because they've had um and to me it's like minimal ipad time or minimal screen time but they actually have consumed a good amount they know what youtube suggested is and how to click through thumbnails and yeah. find the most eye-catching one so it's like how do you also be really engaged as a parent today and guide through it? Cause I don't want to be a parent that's like, well, no, you can't have access to the internet or anything Social like that. Cause I want them to have the opportunity, but um, there is a bigger, it seems like a bigger parenting challenge um, today. Has to be. Do you think there's ever going to be too much? I always wonder to myself if we're ever at a point with digital or technology things of the masses that exist right now in the world, do you ever think we'll get to a point where there's just too much of everything? I think there already is too much. Um, there probably has been too much for a very long time. Like um, even for, for a couple hundred years has been too much. Um, it's probably too much for every generation as, as it changes. Mm -hmm. But I, I think that's where it comes into just the moderating it as a parent, as self-control. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think a lot of people blame, you know, when the, the social dilemma, dilemma came out, that whole documentary about uh, what's going on. And, and sure, some of that looks malicious and, and the way they, they talk about it, it looks crazy. And it probably some of that is true. Um, but to me, that's not like social media isn't the problem. I think it's our behaviors and our habits we've built. Um, and, you know, of course, it, they build it in a way that's more addicting. But like yeah. a lot of things in life, things are built that way. So you can become a repeat customer, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So I I think it's, it's really moderating that for me, one thing I do, because I would roll out in bed. um, You know, I started this a little over a year ago, but like, I'd never sleep in my my room with my phone. Like my bed is a no laptop, no device place. It stays in literally in a different room plugged in every night. Um, And one thing I actually do to do that is like, um, I don't charge my phone during the day. So when I'm done with one charge, like it's done. So, and phone's Granted, can go probably like mine can go two days maybe with decent usage, but um, I have to actually plug it in at night and I keep my plug. Mm-hmm. I taped it literally to the wall so it doesn't move. Uh, so one, my wife doesn't take it and use it somewhere for her and I lose it. But um, but also it helps me like I'm not going to move it to my bedroom and right. charge it there because I've done that it, for yeah. so many years. And then I wake up reading emails at 6 a.m. stressed already. Uh, my heart rate's literally like I've measured, um, did a study a few years ago, like my heart rate would literally just start spike. Uh, now my heart rate barely like it just naturally spikes because I'm awake moving, but um, my anxiety level would go up because I'm reading text and like and you know I can get to that at eight o'clock or seven thirty when I'm ready, but I kind of go through a morning routine, yeah, and consume exactly what I want to consume, which is really just family time, um, yeah. kind of offline time, and then you know the work has its place and I'm kind of ready to tackle it at that point. I'm like in a better mindset for it. You, you said moderation and tackle and both those words popped up in my head as follow-ups. That's so interesting. I was actually about like, and then you'll, you'll keep talking and I'm like, yep, there's that one. Dude, what's the morning routine? The morning routine is very specific. Um, I started this new routine. I made friends with a guy named Jesse Itzler a couple of years ago and um, he got me into cold plunges and the kind of the Wim Hof method. <laughs> yeah, a lot, and, and that's the reaction I get from most people. It's like, I, I, most of my coworkers have cold plunge with me at some point, yeah. um, either at my house or when we're on a trip. Cause I have to, I do it every day. And it's like, if I'm traveling, it's like, I'm finding the, the body of water. That's the coldest, uh, which leads you on some fun adventures anyway. Like I love that. Um, but for me, it's like, I have a pool at home and I live kind of up in the mountains here in LA. So it's, it's it gets a little bit colder at nights by the ocean. And um, so I cold plunge every morning for five minutes. Uh, and then I usually do, now I'm doing an evening session that's 10 minutes, uh, just kind of ending work. But for me, that's like, I do an hour of family time. I'm usually with the boys in the morning because um, they're they're kind of still in that almost baby stage, but they wake up at like 5.30, 6 a.m. So Which is we're good. up together for an hour, but at 7.50 a.m. every morning, like if I don't do it now, Rachel, my wife knows something's kind of wrong like there's usually something, and I kind of like that. There's this, wow. um, at 7.50, if I'm not in by like eight o'clock, she'll ask me like, are you gonna cold plunge? And like a few days ago, I waited till 11 a.m. Cause it was like an overcast morning. Uh, I was, and there was actually just something in my day that I didn't want to do. Like I had been avoiding it. And I know when I cold plunge, like I'm gonna get up, I'm gonna read the Bible and then I'm gonna have like a, a coffee. And then I start my day, I'm gonna tackle those things. But like, if I don't start the cold plunge, you know, I can see my t- tendencies like oh there's something else in my day that I actually uh kind of subconsciously don't want to tackle but for me the the cold plunge it's a fight or flight thing you have a quick moment of it's it's not death but it's like 
the closest thing that day you're going to have to it because your body's like, I'm freezing. I need to survive. I need to breathe. I need to do things to, um, to stay alive here. Mm. And it kicks in that fight or flight. And I love that even just for four or five minutes. Uh, and that to me, the rest of the day is fairly easy. It turns into, for, I've been doing cold plunges almost about a year now, every single day, haven't missed a day. And, uh, I just have so much better days. Like I, everything feels so much easier because, mm. you know, I'm shivering for, 10 minutes after. And it's a reminder that like, that's probably the hardest thing I'm going to do all day. Even if you have client meetings or you got to go film something super massive, that probably is the hardest thing to start like that. But it's a, it's a fun thing too. Like I, I do it alone, obviously when I'm alone, but with yeah. um, my wife will join me sometimes or I'll have family. If anyone's visiting um, my coworkers, if they're around for production or, or traveling, we'll do it together. And it's, it's a fun bonding activity because and I just love it. You're not thinking about emails when you jump in the cold water. I don't know if you've ever done one, but, uh, I've taken cold showers. That's the closest thing to plunging. I mean, I might try to jump into the Hudson, but I heard you'll get Simonella. Oh, <laughs> New York. That's a I haven't done a cold plunge there, but yeah, I, I mean, wouldn't do it. No, no, no. It's so gross. <laughs> I don't know though. You know, Wim Hof swears that partly the cold plunge helps his immune system. So <laughs> I think you call me when you do that. I'll just have a helicopter ready to pull you out of there if it's everything goes bad. Yeah. <laughs> Zach, more on your background. So before we did this interview, I was told by our team that we kind of look like cousins. And I think the reasons why is because we're both Hapa. Uh, we yes. brought that term up before we hit the record button. Half, I guess it's half Asian Pacific American or something along those lines. You didn't hear that term until you went to LA. I didn't hear the term until I was in LA either. Um, but for those of us who have an Asian parent, and an American parent to some degree, you know, maybe Asian or Canadian and whatever, European and Asian. Yep. When you are half Asian, you're trying half Chinese, I'm half Japanese, you have a certain look, a certain character to you that is almost hard to tell. I'm looking at the both of us now. And there's a few things I think I, I notice people point out about Hapa's. Um, one, I don't know if you get this, but they compliment the eyes a lot. Like, especially if you're in a drive-through, people just be like, especially now with masks, they'll be like, oh my gosh, your eyes are really really brilliant or whatever and i'm yeah. I, i'm like always i don't know it's but it, it's it's consistent enough um that it's noticed. a comment that my wife's like i think they say that because you're like this half asian mix um i don't know i'm just making that up but it's interesting um so when i first came to la a youtube executive uh that i had met with once i started my channel yeah. uh he was hapa and we went on this this whole youtube retreat and um you know i realized at the end of it like there's this strange connection you can have with Hoppas. And all of a sudden I was getting doors opened. It was like, do you want your YouTube channel monetized? Done. Do you want, um, do you, do you need this, uh, you know, partner thing, uh, done? Like, and I was like, this is, I don't want to like over leverage this here, but this is kind of awesome. And there has been this unique, it's just a small, uh, culture of Hoppas that are in LA. And when I meet them, it's so fun, like to just connect. And it's like, what's your origin? And for me, many years, I didn't like, I'm, I'm Chinese and, uh, I didn't, celebrate a lot of the traditional things though. Like I, I did standard Chinese new year and gave red envelope laces and, yes. and did a few things with my family. But over the years, it's been fun to, especially I have a, a son that's Vietnamese yep. um, that we adopted uh, into my family. And, um, you know, as we, my, my wife and I are trying to grow our family um, through different, through foster care, through adoption, um, domestically, internationally over the years. And so part of our thing is like, we need to embrace the kid's heritage uh, and also our own and, and make that a part of family because family, it's, it's awesome that it looks blended and it can have 
so many different races intermingled, but oh, yeah. I think you miss out on some of that flavor and the color of life if you don't lean into those. So I yeah. feel like now I'm leaning in a little bit more to a few of the Chinese traditions. That's interesting. My, my great-grandparents and my grandparents really did hold them, but somewhere in my, I think my, my parents' lineage, it kind of fell away and they became, you know, more Americanized. Sure, sure. Um, and so we're trying to figure out, I'm like even learning how to cook uh, for my son, like pho and Vietnamese Like it's it's a whole different, pro it's different than prepping Chinese food. Oh yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I think cool. fun to, to blend, blend that. I'd say the world is always more colorful when you start mixing it up. That's just anything, right? You look at food, you can look at food that way, a painting or whatever. It's just, I've always tried to embrace that. I, but I remember there was a point too, and you probably experienced this. When you are younger, you're never Chinese enough and you're never American enough. Or like, what are you? Okay, you're just a foreigner. I don't know if you've like been to China in your time and had your, your family visited with family and such. When we're in Japan, my brother and I literally, I remember he was in kindergarten, the only one that looked like you and I. And everybody would be like, do you even speak Japanese? Or when we went to like New Mexico, for example, when dad was in the Air Force, it's like, they'll always just be like, so what are you? Do you speak English? And then when we went to Tennessee, that was the worst part, right? Because everybody thought I spoke Chinese. And I was like, oh, no, yes, yeah, like I can't. But it was like, the term is Japanese. So it's like, it's also this cool experience of also, uh, not only embracing your culture, your upbringing, but then being able to educate people on it too, because we do see both of the worlds, you know, Chinese, Japanese, and, and the American lifestyle too. And then now you're having to study Vietnamese and take that upon yourself for your son. That's great. The reason I bring it up, Zach, is because I often wonder for people who are biracial, when you are now starting to embrace your ethnicity and who you are, what you look like, I think we're good looking, but that's my opinion. And now that that's always in front of people, do you think there will be a point where you fully embrace it to the point and, uh, and try to educate people maybe, or, I mean, maybe that's just a continuing thing for your life, but just being Zach King, you know, half Chinese American, what does that mean for you as a brand? Yeah, I mean, my, my favorite kind of fan interactions are the ones where um, you can relate to someone and, and, you know, there are a lot of fans I meet who are biracial and we've had that conversation, uh, yeah. which one do you identify with more? And, and you kind of hit on something, I think it's a hum humanity thing, but, right. you know, I'm always trying to gravitate to the one that the culture that I'm in and say, you know, I'm, yeah, when I'm in China, like I'm Chinese, please accept me as this, or like right. when I'm, uh, you know, whatever I could be in, in States. And now I'm trying to, you know, it's funny when I go to Hawaii, people think I'm Pacific Islander. That's like the one place I fit in. Um, Everybody so, says that any yeah. Asian of, or like, even if you're 25%, I have a friend who's half, uh, she's 25% Chinese, 25% Japanese, half American. And she always, she always said that Hawaii is, is kind of that one place where universally any Asian is just going to feel at home. Yeah. But I think it's absolutely important to embrace all of the races that you come from to have those experiences uh, to try to visit those cultures too. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it'll always be a conversation internally of, of developing and learning more about, but also for me having the platform, um, that's like a cool way I can interject and talk into other fans' lives. And it's just like a small portion of my conversations, but it's uh, a neat one I get to have. That's so cool. I want to talk about your family, your precious family of four, Mason and Liam. One yes. you mentioned, so Liam, uh, you brought Mason in the family a little later, I'm assuming after Liam. So we fostered uh, for a few years um, 
before we had Mason in the family and then we had Mason join through the foster system and uh, we had the opportunity to adopt him and we were like, of course we're going to adopt him. Like that was, uh, you know, when we're doing foster care, the goal is to really reunite the kids with their, their families. Like that's the goal as hard as that can be sometimes. And sometimes they're going back to families where you're like, ah, it's not right if they go back, but you know, they've checked the boxes to the court system that they, Mm -hmm. they can go back. Uh, and sometimes they do go back. Like one of our first kiddos went back to their family and it was like amazing. We were all, all crying when we were um, handing him back over to the family to be reunited because we knew the journey they had gone through and they had struggled a lot and actually like worked their way out of these crazy situations, got housing, got jobs, got financially stable to take their family back in. And, yeah. and so, you know, you want to root for the biological family reunification as much as possible. Um, and, uh, but with Mason, you know, we had the opportunity to adopt him. Yep. Of course, that was an absolute yes. Uh, and then, uh, oh, so he was lucky. our first, you know, family member uh, officially on paper. And then um, during the f- during the adoption, um, we were, uh, his fostering, we were pregnant. Um, that just happens. They, they do say like, when you start fostering, some reason you just, you end up, a lot of people get pregnant. So uh, we had Liam. And uh, so we have two kiddos now, two boys. It's a wild house, but we're opening up. We took a break after we had Liam just because we wanted to get our, like, I'm running the business. Um, Rachel's also like really into writing. She's got her thing, but she's a stay-at-home mom too. Two kids under two for a while we had was wild. So we just were like, let's pause on foster care. And then um, we're starting back up actually next week. So last night I installed the fireplace like you have to do all the safety stuff i put in fire hydrants you have to install like if you have fireplace like the screen uh and then i was installing and i hate installing stuff i suck at it but i was installing these stair things that like you know block the they're for dogs or for kids Mm -hmm. for falling downstairs or going upstairs um but yeah we're starting in a week so it's going to be three kiddos in the house and it's going to be wild and i'm in foster like you can't pick the gender um and we're open to anything it's like boy girl whatever but um, I'm secretly hoping for a girl this time because we've had only boys. Change it and up. I just, I yeah, I want to change it up, and I, it's going to be fantastic. Oh, it having will a be. daughter. Those two will take care of her. If she's younger than them, I'm sure they'll have a blast. If she's older, she'll probably still have a blast. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm I'm nervous because my youngest, uh, you know, when we have a baby around, we've had our friends have had kids. They'll come over with their baby, and he'll like. He'll just be so upset, you know. Uh, I think that's I think Careless. that's most youngest, but uh, you know, he like he'll try to like hit them, and we'll be like, so we're gonna have a whole parenting thing happening. But uh, I'm excited. It's you know, parenting is just a journey that's that's, that's really great. fun, and it forces you to grow. Like you don't have a choice; you either grow or or you don't, and it's it's a hard journey. Grow and learn and balance. How are you and Rachel balancing for the most part? I mean, I know you're busy with the business. How, how much time do you think, uh, in a perfect world, how much time would you spend both with family and work throughout the seven day work week? There's a, um, you know, when I was, there's, a, there's kind of a season for everything. When yeah. I was doing the YouTube 12 years ago, starting that, yeah. it was, I mean, I, I don't I never calculated how many, but I, it was like any waking hour was, if I wasn't eating uh, a short, short meal while I was watching YouTube, uh, I was working like yeah. through the night, three all-nighters a week. Um, then I talked to a sleep doctor who was like, this is really bad for your health. And I took that one seriously. So I stopped doing all-nighters when I got married. Like right uh, for that first year of marriage, I kind of stopped doing that because um, I found myself just really grumpy. Um, yeah. Uh, and with another person in the house, like 
that grumpiness can turn into an argument or it just always yeah so um over the years it sounds kind of lame because as a creative person i've really wanted to like never have a nine to five job i've always wanted to have you know that sounds corporate to me and to most people who would uh want kind of have my line of work yep. but we actually started in the business once we started hiring people uh and growing a team you know, for a couple of years, it was like, well, we'll whatever projects we get, we'll take them on. We'll work through the right. night. You know, that habit started up again, just like I was in college. And uh, me and Rachel kind of just internally as well as the rest of the team who had family kind of were the guiding lights to like, hey, this isn't sustainable for the long run. Yeah. Um, like while we may get awesome bandwidth from doing the all-nighters a little extra, like we're ultimately getting burnt out. So um, we built a nine to five policy with the team, which is what it means, and, and I hate the word policy, but it's like, it's more of a, it's a, it's a culture. It's like, yeah. we come in nine to five, one, because I do think um, that cross pollination of ideas at the water cooler or on your way to the bathroom or going to the snack bar, it's like, you're gonna have this, hey, I was thinking of this this idea this morning. What do you think about this? And like, you get these little blo like seeds planted everywhere. Yeah. And, and all of those at some point kind of blossom into an idea, whether it's a video the, the audience sees or, just a, a little another business we start like it's just this fun cross pollination of creativity that can't happen if you have half a team randomly working at night midnight or you know coming in late which we were kind of doing um but nine to five is also like a little bit of a sanity for a lot of people because i know myself like it's easy for me as the founder and owner of the business to want to work all the time because at the end of the day it's it is benefiting me probably the most out of anybody um but if I worked for my business from five onward, like I'm happy to do a few emails that come in once in a while, or if a late night requires it for a pitch the next morning, hundred percent down. And you know, the team kind of stretches in that way. If I have to work even a weekend for a production a couple mm -hmm. times a year, that's, that's fine. But um, I really want my team to be able to have other lives besides their work life. And I know as an owner, um, a lot of, like we did a survey among the team and that was actually surprisingly, like you wake up after that survey going, Oh, not everyone wants this as much as I do. Like they want it hard and they, they want, you know, some rewards from the business to be paid well, uh, or to have awesome work that they are satisfied doing during the day. But there's more to life than, than just that for everybody else. And, um, so we found that was a big benefit, um, to the culture by having this nine to five kind of like that's when, and it was hard for me, but to prove it that I was serious and it wasn't just some kind of, uh, a surface emission statement, I had to do it. So I, I kind of strategically moved about 20 minutes away. Uh, Cause at first when I started the studio, I was working out of a house and it was just like a, you know, a typical college house. Oh yeah. Uh, had my first kind of first friends uh, and we're the first writing team. And it started as like friend to friend hiring, but I lived like down the block, like literally could just run over at night. So that's when I first year of marriage, I would run over. And then we moved it 20 minutes away. Um, and yeah, so that drive, like I'd start at 8.30, be in by nine, actually leave at five, get home 5.30. And um, I think after a few years of doing that habit and the team seeing it that, okay, we're serious. And like, I'm not sending too many emails after, like if I send an email at 7 a.m. or 7 p.m., I'm actually, I love the schedule feature on Gmail. So I schedule it for like 9.01 or uh, 9.10. So my whole team's inbox, you know, gets flooded then, but it's during like mm -hmm. the work hour. So they're not getting pinged at 6.30 in the morning and like, oh man, I'm already, you know, getting stressed yeah. or not. Yeah. So it's building those habits. And that's been a really big one for me is I think it, 
it sounds unsexy, but I do think the workplace environments um, of these open office layouts where you can come and oh, yeah. go whenever um, I've seen internally, they kind of lead to a little bit of an unpredictable life for the employees. Whereas we're trying to kind of have predictability, especially as our family, they all started around my age, but right. um, many of them now have wives or, or husbands and they're having kids. And I think everyone uh, who has kids starts to appreciate the structure of like, oh, I can go home and be with my family and off the grid for a while. Because you want the, not that might not be balanced more so than it is. Uh, you want a longevity in, in everything you're building. And like you said, yeah, no one wants it as bad as you do, but you want yeah, to do this for a long time. I, 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 I less use the word balance just because balance uh, implies that both are equal at all times, whereas um, there's like a there's a harmony to it. So it's it's like it's like the ocean and tides. There's like ebbs and flows. Because I mean, I'm not saying I don't work uh, hard, but if I either have travel come up or have like this next week, we have a massive shoot, and I'm going to be working seven days a week. I usually take the weekends off for my family, or do very light, you know, two three hour windows of work as the kids are napping or something mm. like that. But, um, this next week, like my wife knows for seven days straight, I'm, it's just part of the job that okay. week. Yep. I'm like going to be staying in LA in a hotel to be closer to set. Like it's just, it's work mode. So it goes in, in little seasons, but yep. the big thing, at least that saved my marriage. Um, one of the tools is just setting expectations and it sounds so basic, but it really is like, we have Sunday Works. night meetings and, uh, we both go into that knowing like that's the sexiest thing to do as a couple like okay business meeting like let's go over the calendars let's go over budgeting but we do it uh sunday nights just to talk about that next week's because things usually change probably like you week to week a little bit and uh we go over expectations and and very healthy a lot of just like unexpected like wait i thought you were gonna be home at this time and put the kids down or like you were gonna be a babysitter so i could go do this and you know it sets it up really nice that's all we needed from you, dude, to hear that you even have a type of meeting like that with your wife and it's working. Uh, to anybody listening, if you have a boyfriend or girlfriend, husband or wife, I think that'd be really interesting to test out, don't you? Like schedule something in the books that helps you guys both prepare for what's coming up and be on the same page about everything. Do you guys at least do dinner with that meeting? Dinner together? Or with that meeting? No, that's a, that's a, so it's a 10 minute meeting. It used to be oh. a little bit longer as we yeah. got the group, but now it's like open up the Google Cal, sit on the couch um or we'll go into my office like we treat it like a business meeting it's like nice what are you doing this week what am i doing this week where are do we have potential like babysitter conflicts that we think we might drop the ball for each other whatever yep. um and so no it's not dinner um i because me dinner is like food is for us me and rachel we love food we love cooking together oh yeah um and we love or we love good takeout or going out but um no something about like going over google cal with dinner ruins the meal for me i think for both of us so I we keep it throw up thinking about all the things that are coming up. <laughs> Zach, I want to get to a game we call quickie cues with you, which will be on our YouTube channel. But right now I have just two more questions for you. Have you ever had a hard day? And what was that hard day? It could have been professionally, personally. Uh, if you, if you have had a really tough day, say you skipped the cold plunge, for example, and that day was just hard as hell. It was long as hell. What did you tell yourself to get through it? And was there maybe one thing you thought about constantly throughout that 24 hour time period that got you through it? Yeah. You have to give yourself grace. I think we go too hard on ourselves I and mean, myself included for having bad days. Um, it's for me, there's two things that I do. Yeah. Besides, um, you know, I mean, a big one is actually scripture. I'm, I'm big into reading the Bible. I love the principles yeah. of the Bible. I love Jesus. And that's um, 
that's just kind of been my shaping worldview and, and how I get over a lot of those things. But, um, but also writing it down. Like for me, when I write out what I'm feeling, it's crappy of a day I'm, I, I could be having. I had one uh, just last week and I had a, just a bunch of things fall on my plate and I started writing down like what's bothering me. And after I wrote it down, even as I was finishing the last couple of sentences, you know, when you have that feeling of like, what I just wrote down actually is not that significant to some people in the world. Like, and not that you have to compare um, to feel satisfied or, or feel um, gratitude, mm -hmm. but um, you, I had just had that every time I finish about the last paragraph of like, why my day is the worst. Uh, I'm like, you know what? It's not that bad. And what's cool about grace is you'll have a new day tomorrow. Like you have a brand new start, just sleep yeah. it off. Um, but I've actually linked a lot of my bad days because I do a charting system for my day every day. I write, and this is from Jim Collins, but I've been doing it for years. Um, I write a spreadsheet of uh, all the way from negative two day to a plus two. And it's a little bit arbitrary, but it's just at the end of the day, how did I feel that day went? Got and it. I rate it and I keep a spreadsheet and I write a few keywords for the things I did. So at the end of the year, I can always say the days that I did three hours of writing, I had a fantastic day. If I started my day from nine to 12 and that's all I do and all I get done, don't even answer an email. Like I actually have a, usually a plus two day. Yeah. Um, so I do that and I've actually linked it two to sleep though. That's a big one for me. So yeah. if I, if I'm not getting eight hours uh, and it sounds kind of bougie to a lot of people, I think, especially in the startup world, it's like, oh no, it's, it's cool to say you get four hours. It's sexy to say, I only, I didn't sleep last night. I'm, I'm still that. But, but it's not like, especially as your body gets older, like you're building one really bad habits for your body, right. but you're ruining like the circadian rhythm. rhythm. And yep. um, for me, like me and my wife are around 930 looking at like, hey, we have half an hour. Do you want to play a game? Do you want to, we can't watch a show anymore. Like the 40 minutes that would take, we're done. Like yep. we got to be in bed by 10. So we're both pretty good about like we 930, we're making uh, sleepy tea and getting ready to go to bed because yep. we, you know, we're up at. 536. Sleepy bedtime tea. No, that, yeah. that stuff exists. If nobody knows, sleepy bedtime tea. I mean, some people use chamomile, but there are teas out there that really just help you wind down. A lot of which are Chinese uh, made, which is- Is that right? Yeah, yeah I, I mean, a lot. That's, that's awesome. I, we just do the standard, like whatever we buy at Ralph's is like, it says sleepy time or sleepy tea. I miss tea. Ralph's. Um, yeah, but you don't do Ralph's? No, they don't have it here. We have like Trader Joe's Whole Foods and some of the other ones, but yeah, yeah Ralph's Ralph's is a classic. When I moved to LA, I'd never heard of it. Um, but yeah, Instacart, I mean, do you have Instacart where you are? Yeah. Oh, I, maybe there's some Ralph's in Connecticut or something. We'll, I'll find one. Yeah. Instacart has been a game changer too for us. Like not shopping, just having our pre-made cart every week. And just, yeah. that's what we add to the business meeting. It's like what, what meal planning done. Cool. Make it easy. Keep it simple. Go to bed at 9.30. Zach King, you've given us so much, dude. I got one final question, and then I'm going to let you go with, about your busy day, and we're going to play a quick couple-minute game uh, of what we call like to call quickie cues. You're influencing so many people, my friend, and the fact that like I've been told I look like your cousin before I got on this call, listening to your habits and how you work is very similar to how I've done it and very similar to how a lot of other successful and influential people are doing it, um, like yourself. Mm -hmm. If you had to leave a legacy behind, what do you want to be building right now to then hopefully leave behind one day? We're not writing your obituary here. I just want to know what legacy you'd like to leave with people. Uh, I, it's all about experiences for my kids. That is the, the biggest legacy. Like, uh, you know, having these awesome experiences that one, I mean, they can teach them stuff, sure, but also like they have these stories built in. I think that's, yeah. as I look for, you know, I hope to make a feature film someday or a TV show for me, they all stem 
come from doing experiences. Some of my best work in terms of the magic videos, um, they came from experiences, whether it's like skydiving. Now I went skydiving a couple years back and I've been working on a concept for literally that long, just slowly. Um, but I, I would never have those ideas if I hadn't done those things or I'm really into um, lobster diving. And uh, that experience, every time you're in the, in the ocean at night, like you, you see things in the shadows and there's like been weird things I've seen that I'm like, oh, a shark video, like that'd be, I gotta do something like, how, why haven't we done this yet? And, and so we start writing these concepts or, you know, what if I didn't have to take the 40 minute drive to the ocean, but I could jump in the bathtub and get straight there. Like there's a lot of fun uh, things you can grab from experiences. So for me, that's like, if I left my kids and family with anything, it's like, they had these awesome life experiences. I love what my wife's dad did. Uh, he took their kids to all six continents and the seventh one, they have to take him. So Antarctica, Aww. my wife and there's the siblings have to take uh, my father-in-law. And I love that. Like that'll be one of my goals is wow. taking my kids to every single continent um, before, you know, they get to high school. That's cool. Zach King, you're cool. I can't thank you enough for the last hour we've spent together, buddy, for letting us call you a man of the hour for many reasons uh, and, and for ultimately just sharing with us everything you did um, and what you're doing. I want to mention real quickly, I'm going to drop this really fast. Bump, bada, bump, bump, uh, Guinness World Record winner. Hello, TikTok. Wild. Most followed man. When you got that call, first of all, congratulations. We'll talk offline about it. I wanted to tell you, congratulations, dude. That's huge. Thank you. I mean, that's wild. I, I've never won a Guinness record before and I, and who knows if I ever will again. Um, you will. But you know, for me, those things are a reminder. Like I love to, I'm really bad at celebrating. My wife tells me all the time. My team tells me all the Come time. Come on, like, really? Celeb I'll yeah. remind you to celebrate. I'll send you a bottle of champagne right now. But the thing about it is uh, I think when you get to, um, so I don't want to sound ungrateful because that it's like wild. Some of the stuff that's happened and experiences and things we've gotten just because of um, the audience we have, it's just insane. And you got to pinch yourself sometimes. You got to like yeah. once in a while roll over and just say like, is this real? This is, why did I, you know, get this? And there's uh, there's that whole conversation. But that aside, for me, um, you know, there's been a lot of things that are the the current, like we, we break a record on Instagram or we yep. uh, one year we were like top three videos, right? Pine Bieber and uh, Taylor Swift uh, in 2016. Like there's a lot of these crazy things that happen. But for me, it's, um, we try not to relish in them too much. Now I'm getting a little better at celebrating. We'll throw a, like a pizza party here at the studio. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we we also try to like remember why, because some of those things are distracting. Like we've yeah. gone after them before. We've had these awesome awards and we're like, well, now we got to try to like, how do we, we know what to do to re-engineer to get one next year or do that again. And that always takes us down a, the wrong path of creating. So we try to as much as we can, like just continue doing what we're doing. Uh, focus inward on on the different you know cross pollinations that are happening here and mm -hmm. um, really the guiding light for us is like are we making stuff we would enjoy would we share this if it was on our feed yeah Not, I mean we know what goes viral now we know the little things you can throw in there but are those even the things that are meaningful um, long term so that's mm -hmm. kind of how we're trying to engineer our content it's working create more than you consume Zach King, thank you again for stopping by the podcast. Anybody listening right now, we're going to head to YouTube really quickly and pay a game of what we like to call quickie cues with Zach. We're going to ask him a rapid fire series of quick questions that he has to answer as fast as he can to get the best answer possible. But in the meantime, we're on Instagram at men of the hour podcast. Zach King is on Instagram. 
just look up his name. You're going to find him. He's probably the first one that pops up. And you can also find him on YouTube. Go to his YouTube channel. And everywhere else you can find Zach King. I Googled him. He has a Wikipedia page and everything, my friends. So until we come back next week with another episode of the Men of the Hour podcast, have an incredible day. Zach, I'm going to ask you the real question. Do you have two minutes? It's one o'clock. Yes, I do. Yes. Well, it'll be so quick, buddy. That would have been perfect rap. Um, so let's make this quick. I want to get you out of here, bud. All right. It's time for a game I like to call Quickie Cues, and we're here with Zach King, the king of content creating right here on YouTube. Everybody, welcome. Zach, are you ready, buddy? I'm going to ask you a rapid-fire series of quick questions. I'm going to give you little time to answer them. Okay. And they're random as hell, so are you ready for this? I'm ready. Yeah, let's go. What weird food combinations do you really enjoy? Ooh, I mean, I don't know if it's weird, but I love pho and chicken. Like, maybe <laughs> I, that's the thing at some restaurants, but I'll, I'll throw fried chicken into pho any day. Where do you get your news? Uh, Twitter. Twitter is the number one news. What movie can you watch over and over again without getting tired of it? Oh, I love I love The Godfather, any of them, but probably the first one's my favorite. Nice. What's the most expensive thing you've broken lately? Oh, uh, I dropped a lens on set. It was uh, three grand. That was a bad, bad decision uh, or just bad protocol on my end. But yeah, that was, it's always film gear. Dang. What current favorite song do you have in mind? Uh, favorite song is going to be uh, The Four Seasons by Vivaldi. I was listening to on the way in. Oh, nice. Get you in good vibes. What's something you can't live without? Cannot live without um, my Apple Watch because that's the thing that tell, literally it tells me to stand up and, and walk around to breathe. And it tells me to uh, to go on a run. Like that keeps me active. How do you start your day? I know. Tell everybody. Cold plunges. Cold plunge starts the day. <laughs> Almost killing yourself to start the day. How do you close your day? Uh, I close my day. Uh, I wrap it down with my wife. We talk for at least ten minutes before bed. Whether we go off and do our own things after that, we just have to have a little connection time. What is your go-to restaurant in Los Angeles? Um, so I've been trying all the pho restaurants. I can't remember my, my, there's, I have a list going in my phone and my favorites, but it's any pho restaurant. I've been there and I've rated them on my phone um, somewhere. I mean, I love this stuff in downtown LA. Yeah. Um, so there's also a great place by LAX. I got to find the name for you. Yeah. Find it. Oh my, Mason's lucky. You already enjoyed pho before. And now I already liked pho. Yeah, I already food. loved Vietnamese food. Yeah, you joined the right family food. for that one. Food what habit do you have now you wish you started much earlier? Uh, sleep. I wish I started sleeping, you know, seven, eight hours a night back when I was in college. Mm. What's your favorite TV show? Currently Breaking Bad. It's the only show I've watched twice i will just about have finished it for the second time here nice who do you look up to anybody i look up to uh uh my, my mom's pretty incredible she's just an amazing she's a nurse she works night shifts like mm -hmm. i i don't know how she's that she homeschooled me like that's amazing having just two kids she had four um yeah. having two kids I, I don't know how she did it and for you know however many plus year 30 years i've been alive oh we'll send this to her hi mom we love you thank you for everything what's something you always wanted to do but never got to do yet 
there, there's something uh, called 29029. Um, and it's, it's walking, you walk the height of Everest mm -hmm. without going to Everest. You can just do it on, on a, on a hill. My buddy, Jesse runs it. And, uh, that's something I want to do this year. That's on my bucket list. Nice. What's your favorite clothing brand? Um, so I wear only one brand and that's, uh, Target. Come and, on uh, Target. So $6 t-shirts here. And, uh, whatever these jeans are, I think these are actually on Amazon, but they're like 18 bucks. Nice. So I'm currently nice. wearing about $13 or $30 worth of clothes, which is uh, my daily. It's called a smart shopper. What is your favorite brand for food? Favorite food brand is going to be, uh, well, it's a beverage brand, but it's the same thing because I, I consume them so much. It's Topo Chico, sparkling okay. water. Oh, nice. That can eat and drink that all day. What's the first thing you did when you got your first big paycheck and what did you spend it on? I spent it on, so I'm really frugal. I don't, I don't spend much money at all. Um, I probably put it into the stock market, invested it. That's my, that's what my spending every month when I get paid, throw it into Robinhood or, or Weeble or wherever. And uh, that's like, to me, spending money. I'm like, what can I invest in? What's on sale now? Oh man, if you want to be like Zach King, all you got to do is wear Target and go and spend your money elsewhere, like investing. Smart man. Last question for you. Do you work out how often and what type of workouts do you do? So it's mostly a yoga practice. Um, it's every day. It's a little bit after the cold plunge. So that's my warm up, And it's short. I only do 15 minutes. Um, it's really just, you know, it's for me, it's, it's a mix of yoga. I used to do a lot of hot yoga with my wife uh, at a place near our house, but um, you know, it's really kind of just basic stretching for me. Nice. Well, you had her doing hot yoga. Now you have her doing cold plunges. I'm going to let you go cold plunge again. Thanks for playing our game of quickie cues, Zach King. Of and it was good to have you. Thanks for being a man of the hour. Thanks for having me. The men of the hour podcast, my friend. It was so good to see you, buddy. All right. Good to see you. Now, this next guest was someone who I immediately became friends with when we wrapped his interview because of his authenticity and love for making people feel something when he sings. Certainly a badass with what he does. You'll love this episode with Scott Hoying from Pentatonix, which is all about setting goals and staying creative. Hey guys, this is Scott Hoying from Pentatonix, and I am this week's Man of the Hour, something I have never been called before. Um, and we talk about all sorts of things. We talk about Pentatonix. We talk about opportunities, we talk about friendship, we talk about being overly caffeinated. Buckle up. Have you all ever heard of the world of acapella singing? Then Pentatonix and Scott Hoying are certainly familiar names. Scott's joining me on this episode of the podcast to chat about goal setting, friendship, and all things music. Now, if I could sing, we would have just produced a duet hit single for you, but hopefully this inspiring stuff that Scott has to say makes up for the lack of my vocal abilities. Scott Hoing, Hoying, Hoying, Hoing. Hoing, Hoing. I yeah. love your last name. You are one fifth of one of the most, most coolest. Here we go again with the fucking words. One of the coolest things I've ever seen come to life in the music business. Pentatonix is so unique. I don't think people still to this day even know what acapella is. So we're going to start there. We're going to go to music and we're going mm -hmm. to friendship. And then I want to close out with you because you're such an original human being. I want to talk a lot about that, how that's been crafted over the years. We're going to start with acapella. It's two words, I'm pretty sure, right? Yeah, yeah. Ah, uh, 
and then Capella. <laughs> Capella. Scott, how did, how did all this come to life? Did you know you wanted to make music with friends out of your mouths only? And Oh, I did not know that. I actually wanted to be a solo artist playing piano and singing my whole life. I was like that kid who was always playing piano and singing in um, high school and uh, junior high and making little albums in my room. Um, and then acapella came into the picture when I went to college. I didn't want to join a frat because I was scared. So I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was really into choir in high school. So I was like, acapella would be perfect for me because it's kind of like choir. And I just fell in love with it. I was obsessed. It just like, I, I just like developed a passion for it really, really quickly. And my friends um, in my acapella group at USC were on this TV show. And I was like, I want to do acapella on the TV show originally for fun. Then after we won, I was like, okay, I guess this is my career. <laughs> yeah, and you're loving it. I'm loving Five it. of you look like you're always having fun. You know what I love about you guys? There's those Christmas specials you guys come out with every year. And it's <laughs> yeah. fun. My mom and I bop to it all the time, right alongside Mariah Carey and believe it or not, Cheetah Delicious Christmas from uh, 2007. Oh, wow. We are in great company there. <laughs> you like remember that. it. You know, there's something so unique about like pop group bands, if you may. Obviously, your instruments are out of the mouth, but then you have a lot of pop bands that are like the Cheetah Girls back then, or, you know, there is something cool about that. No matter or not whether or not they're still together doesn't really matter, although I'm really happy you guys are still together. Yeah, 10 years later. It's great. Right? But you guys, like, you, p groups like you are a part of people's childhood or just, it's really unique to see. I hope you know that. Oh, yeah, thank you. And that's very true. I had someone tell me yesterday, like, I used to cover White Winter Hymnal when I was like a young, young kid in elementary school with my friends. And I was like, wait, wait, how old am I then? It's, it's, I was like, wait, and this person was an adult. I was like, elementary school? I was like, are you sure you got your math right? Oh, man. And you're a Trojan. I didn't even know you went to USC. How yeah, cool. I went for a year. And then after that, you're like, fuck it, I'm going to do acapella. Well, I loved it so much. I wanted to go back. But after we won the show, I was like, I guess I'll do pentatonics full time and go back one day. And it's been a decade. So yeah, you, one of these things are going to happen. You're just going to be asked to give a speech. And that's where you're going to get your diploma. You can skip the three years, dude. You're a rock star. <laughs> like an honorary moment. That That's usually what happens from what I've seen. So after uh -huh. you're doing and listen, you win a show, you go do your own thing. I, do you feel like there's a part of college that you've may have missed out on or you probably got a lot of experience your first year no yeah i did i got a ton of experience because i was in the music program and they loved to like party and hang and i had all these classes and met a lot of friends and then also the acapella world is like an experience so i it was a, it was a it was a lot my freshman year so i feel like i got it yeah i think so it, acapella correct me if i'm wrong i was a cheerleader like oh. all-star high school and in in college too it's you can compare cheer world and like you've seen the little rock stars that do the two and a half minute routines they're sassy as hell <laughs> is it that catty in acapella world um i think it does get a little cutthroat in acapella it's a, it's a, it's a very like i feel like pitch perfect is obviously exaggerated but that's kind of the world's a little bit I would have never made pitch perfect or that show cheer on netflix or bring it on should it not actually be somewhat emulated correctly am i right Exactly. Yeah. That's so interesting. You know, I bet the same people, and we talked about this, the same people who liked Pitch Perfect probably liked Bring It On. What do you think the similarities are there? Um, it's camp. It's fun. There's so many good one-liners. There's music involved, dancing involved. That's fun. Yeah. Routines of some kind. Yeah. Competition, drama. 
I think competition and drama are where it's at. Yeah, definitely. What do your friends from college now talk about when, when you see them? Are you still talking to anybody from USC or from your high school days even? Yeah, yeah. I have, um, I'm still friends with a bunch of people from USC, and a lot of them are doing music, and we'll just hang out and play music for each other and catch up. And they'll come to our shows when we have them and vice versa. Yeah, it's awesome. You're awesome, dude. What about the, okay, solo career for a minute. I know you wouldn't say this off the record and stuff just because like the five of you are doing so incredible together. So I wanted to give you an opportunity if you could have pursued solo um, career life as a musician with that piano you mentioned, how do you think it would have turned out? Because eventually, listen, I think that every group knows that you guys can also do a couple things or I don't know how all that shit works. Maybe your label probably cut my throat for saying that, but like, who knows? But like, what, what do you think that would have looked like? You know, it, I truly don't know. It could have gone so many different ways as everyone's career does. Um, I think, I mean, being like a baritone piano, like Gavin DeGraw situation, I think would have been pretty tough for me to break through. Cause there's not a ton of lanes in the music industry for that on a big level. So I think I would have been, um, really going at it for a while. Uh, but who knows? I could have instantly been a superstar at age 20. Who knows? You're a superstar now, so that's all we care about. <laughs> that's all we care about. You're a little, you're, uh, you, you might have went to school on the West Coast, but you were a Southern guy. You're from Texas. Yeah. Yes, Arlington, Texas. Arlington, Texas. My Arlington. family's from Tennessee, so I'm always telling people, right. you got a little Southern Japanese boy here. But <laughs> are there still roots in Texas? Yeah, my parents are there, and my sister, nieces, and nephews um, are there. And then I have another sister in Baltimore now. What does it feel like going home, usually, after coming out of Hollywood each time? Um, it's always really nostalgic. It's so much calmer in Texas, so it's a nice place to decompress and hang with family and kind of get back to my roots. Um, because, obviously, being here, it's like work, work, nonstop. Um, so it is nice to go back. And you don't have someone whispering, you're going. Exactly. You know what's so funny? I thought about this and I was like, God, I don't even know if we could do this on the show. It'd probably be so difficult. At some point I'd wanted to learn the acapella. So I was doing music videos for people that were acapella teams at University of Tennessee, Volt and Evolve. I forget the names. They were like, hey, we need some videos. It was so cool to compile clips of like close-ups of these people singing, the wide shots with the whole, you've seen it because you guys do so many music videos. It's so cool. Yeah, thank you. I know, I I love the acapella world. Dude, music aside for a second. Uh, creating opportunities. We're going to get a little deep here for a second because I want your thoughts on this. I feel like aside from music, just in life in general, what are your thoughts on creating opportunities and kind of bringing things to life that were previously non-existent, especially like an idea, be it creative or not? Um, I mean, with, with Pentatonix, it was like hearing SoCal Vocals, the acapella group, sing for the first time. I just remember being so unbelievably just like in awe like eyes twinkling obsessed and inspired and so I mean I would say just following whatever makes you feel that whatever makes you like tingle inside and like inspires you on a deep level um, to chase that and another big thing about creating opportunities that I realized is when you have an idea just immediately execute it don't like work on it work on it perfect it change it change it for years it's like work on it the next day put it out as soon as you can that's um that always is what worked for pentatonics we were like let's do a cover of this song 
and let's, do y'all want to arrange it tonight and put it out tomorrow? Like we've moved really quick. And I think that really worked to our advantage. You got, you bring up a really good point. That's how you learn. Exactly. Don't you think if you're sitting here working on something that you're used to and you're just like questioning or altering something that you're just used to sitting in front of, be it a piece of music, or I guess for me, it'd be like a video or I don't know, but you hear that <clears throat> that's called yeah, allergies. Yeah. It sucks. Yeah. <laughs> Good thing we're on a podcast. We're in the middle of people's ears. I don't know if that makes you feel weird, yeah. but like I brought that up yeah, several that times. I'm like, I'm like, Hey, people are like listening in their ears. So like anything we say that sounds like remotely <laughs> sexual or something, it's weird. Just call it ASMR. Could you like, that's where you learn. That's exactly where you learn is, is activating as soon as possible. Even when there's hiccups in the road, I feel like you guys are in positions all the time where you're like, oh, that didn't work. So do, you, do you just immediately scrap it and work on something else? Or you like, because I feel like, I mean, you said, don't spend too much time working on it, but obviously you want to perfect it to some type of level yeah. of being able to put it out confidently. So how do you guys kind of balance that? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously the devil's in the details. So we'll, we'll make sure to like make it as good as possible, but we, we, um, we try to always put it out. I mean, I try to put anything out that I've been working on, even if I feel a little insecure about it, because as you just said, that's how you learn and how you get feedback. And if you don't finish a project, you're never going to grow. Um, because, you know, I don't even think we've ever said this, but Little Drummer Boy is one of our biggest videos. It really kind of launched our Christmas career. Um, and we originally scrapped the video. We like, we saw it, I remember we were on our European tour, we were watching it on the bus, and we were like, this just isn't good enough. This is, I just, we, none of us felt comfortable putting it out, so we decided not to. And then a month later, we kind of revisited it with fresh eyes, and we were like, you know what? We have this video, we spent time making it, let's just put it out and see how it does, and if people hate it, that's okay, we'll move on. And then it like launched our whole Christmas career, so you really never know. Um, and getting in your head can be really detrimental when it comes to making art, for sure. In life too. Who knows? <laughs> I am. A, I'm like. I feel like. Um, I'm Hold on. Will you say head. you're gonna hate me? That Zoom just like zapped you when you said that. Oh, I said who knows? Who knows? It's a constant daily struggle. I mean, I feel like we're all in our heads all the time about everything, and it's uh, it's it's like exercising trusting yourself, and. Uh, working really hard and just, uh, just, uh, man, I wish I had more profound words to say, but trusting yourself, I, and which I struggle to to this day. I mean, I've fortunately had lots of success and lots of external validation, um, but I still doubt myself all the time because until I truly myself <laughs> uh, feel I am good enough, no external validation would would really do that for me. Well, this is external validation. I think you're good enough. Here's why oh, I say that. Thank you. Thank you. You come across very confident. You always have. Every time we see you guys on stage, it is a performance, but I know backstage, I mean, I think you guys had, it was from some form of like docu, either on YouTube or on one of the streaming. Oh yeah. We had a Netflix documentary. Yeah. I saw that. And how, when was that? That was a couple of years ago. That was a while. 2015, maybe. A couple meaning six. Wow. Six. <laughs> well, what, how about this? That's five oh. years. That's actually five. We'll, we'll dismiss five, the pandemic six, year. Five and a half. Right. Pandemic He's, doesn't count at all. It never so. counts. But I just remember seeing how you guys work together, how much fun you have. It's different than what we've seen from other artists. And it's probably because you guys have like a knit community of being able to like support each other throughout all of that. But also you're genuinely friends. So let's talk yeah. about friendship. 
in and out of the business. I mean, you mentioned you're still friends with the USC Trojan friends, or I don't know why I always say Trojan, probably because it's a condom, <laughs> who the fuck knows. But in general, it's like friendship has a lot to do with how comfortable and confident you're going to be in your mm-hmm. career, for example. I mean, everybody has a career. You know what? Let me go off the record for a second. Like, everybody's job is so different in today's world. You meet people like you who are superstars on stage. You meet people like me who have like random ass jobs in media. And it's like, it's so cool though, how everybody can still super relate on this level of being happy where they are. Should you have a good support circle? You know? 100%. I mean, I feel like probably the primary reason Pentatonix has been successful is because we were all friends and we're all having fun because, I mean, I always say this, but like easily the best art comes from just having natural fun. If it feels forced or too businesslike, um, the art suffers greatly. But all our best stuff is when we're like laughing, dancing, singing, um, and just coming up with stuff randomly and there's no inhibitions and no one feels judged, no one feels afraid to give ideas. Uh, that is where like the magic happens in all areas of life, but um, for pentatonics, especially musically. I would say, and then personally speaking, in terms of friendships and how those kind of keep you grounded, you know, let us know. I mean, I feel like that's kind of, you said going home to Texas is nostalgic and it's probably because a lot of those people, every time you come home, it's a hoorah, don't you think? Or is it the opposite, you know? I know it's a, it's definitely hurrah. Um, a lot of people in Arlington, Texas, Texas in general, are very proud of Pentatonix. So it's cool to go home and um, connect with them. How are you handling stardom? I got to ask you. Because oh, at some point, I'm, I'm getting introvert vibes, and I don't know why, but I'm just getting the fi- not like bad, but I'm getting <laughs> the idea that like you like your privacy. I do. I do. I'm definitely introverted um, at times. I have my extroverted moments. Um, but I honestly, I've really enjoyed it. It's it's not like paparazzi follows us around. We're not really that tier of celebrity. Um, so I've enjoyed everything that's happened to us because it's given us an opportunity to just make music for a living. I don't really, I've, there's not a lot of other things I'm super passionate about. So being able to kind of be in the zone and like live my passion and truth daily um, and get paid for it is just all I could ever ask for. So you said it when that when that wire that check comes through, that's where it's at. That's where the real passion is. No, because really, it's so cool that you're able to do that and make a living off of it. Yeah, exactly. Like when you put it in hindsight, I don't think people realize like everybody's still got to pay their rent and like you know pay their bills and stuff. It's called being an adult, which is crazy cool. Yeah, it but it's like. <laughs> Scott, you seem so original too, which is something that I think is, is not just noticeable, but it's very admirable for many reasons. But in terms of being original, have you always been this way in terms of, I know you mentioned you're working on yourself and like, you know, gaining the confidence to this day, which is just a journey, I would think. And by all means, I'm younger than you, but I'll just say this because, you know, I feel like saying it, but like, there is so much still to be learned in our lives for so long. It's why I started this show. I think in in the world of self-help, it's about taking anybody who's experiencing life at the same time, getting what they have to say about what's happened in their life or what's upcoming and really understanding that all of us are playing the same game. You know what I mean? But for you, I think originality is so dope. Like just to see you as you and you're so happily in your relationship and you're so happily singing, doing your thing. Beat, but do you do the beatboxing part too, or just the singing? Oh, you do I all know. of it. I just sing. 
I, I love mean, that. I, you don't I, even I, have to do all the beatboxing. You know what? I'll do it. <laughs> but that's um, that's a great thing to see. So has it always been like that for you? Um, I feel like I I have always taken pride in being original. You know, like as a kid, I was really weird and awkward. I mean, most of my childhood. And I always kind of was insecure about that. But what I realized that a lot of creativity came from that. Um, and as I've gotten older, I've learned to harness kind of like the weirdness and, and, and try to take something we've made and be like, how can we think outside of the box and flip this on its head? Okay, how can we do that even more? And how can we push it even more? And uh, just having at the forefront of your mind, how can we make this different than anything? And really taking the time to answer that question um, has been really crucial for us as a band and me personally. Mm. More on the journey of self-discovery. So when yeah. you're... <laughs> Sorry, oh, I thought you were saying that. Oh, I know. I was I definitely... Saying, I... That's self-discovery. Yeah, never mind. Keep going. <laughs> cut that it out. Is. It totally <laughs> is. Oh, we can't cut anything out, man. No, I'm kidding. Oh, we could, but I don't like to cut nothing out. Oh, no. Here's why. I think it's... Because well, I think everything you're saying is so valuable. Self-discovery is one of those things where I feel like, again, it's about that journey process for so many of us. And, and it's about asking those hard questions. What would you say is the hardest question you've had to ask yourself recently? The hardest question I've had to ask myself recently. Um, oh, man. Like, what does the future look like? That's probably the scariest thing. Is it pentatonics for the next 20 years? Is it pentatonics for the next five years? What's my life and my existence outside of this band? Um, what else do I want to do? Because I've dedicated pretty much 100% of my mind to this band and to touring and to, and to living this existence. And so I think the scariest, hardest question is like, who am I outside of this? Um, which is it's a terrifying thing that we all have to ask ourselves because, you know, all our careers and our friendships and the movies we watch, they're all in a way distractions. Um, and then you look inward of like, like, who am I and what do I really want to achieve for the rest of my life? Um, it's like a big, scary question. Has to be. I think everybody can ask themselves that when they're a part of a tribe a community a group a fraternity a sorority a team of basketball players like there's just that that happens i don't know if there's yeah. a word for that i feel like there's like a some type of stigma or like a ism that goes with that i don't know i'll look it up later um <laughs> if we had a live researcher that'd be kind yeah, of dope it, what's the word for that paul you know <laughs> but there's there might be something around that you bring up a great point which is like the fear of the unknown being number one two great points number two when you're involved and you're being and your brand is really built amongst other people as well. Like there's something beautiful about that, but also scary to, to kind of not know what that looks like individually for yourself. Yeah. You know, and I think for you, have you taken some thought as to what that might look like recently? Yeah. I've been um, trying to apply myself creatively in other areas of my life as well. Um, trying to write a lot uh, and, I would love to develop TV shows. I've been working on a musical. I've noticed that I am at my happiest when I'm creating. And when you finish like a song or, or finish a, a TV pilot or something and you, you read through it, sing through it, just 
such a serotonin boost, such a high. And so I've, I've definitely, the answer I've come to so far and what my future is, is creating um, in any area. You know what could be really cool though, is that you continue with this unknown direction of pentatonics, which is probably going to keep going for a very long time. You guys are so successful. And then doing the movie thing, or like if you want to do, you know, video production or commercial acting or something, like you can do all of that, don't you think? Yeah, we had a discussion about this in pentatonics recently. We're like, let's just keep pentatonics going because we all love it. We've all worked so hard on it. It makes so many people happy. Um, and we all have our side projects that, and we've been able to do those too. It's funny, you think like, people always in bands break off and go solo because they have to like focus on other things. But it's kind of wild how much bandwidth you actually have. Like Kirstie started her whole um, like side business selling handmade crafts and stuff. She's able to do that and pentatonics. Mitch is doing a solo career. He also does pentatonics. I'm working on the stuff and doing pentatonics. Um, so I think, I think you can do it all, which is cool. Let's keep talking about that because I literally had that written down, the art of having it all at once. There's a stigma that people can't. And I think it just depends on the bandwidth and the time that you're willing to put into all these areas of your life. Luckily for you, you get enjoyment and fulfillment out of creating and doing these quote unquote jobs that probably pretty much don't feel like jobs at this point. Mm -hmm. You know, similarly on like the production front or podcasting or whatever, hosting and stuff, like it's the same thing. It's like none of these feel like actual jobs to myself and I'm okay yeah. to work on six projects at a time. Whereas I think some other people would think that that's just very exhausting to do more than just one thing and be really good at one thing. What are your thoughts on that in terms of bandwidth and energy going into all these things? It just depends on, yeah, as you just said, it depends on the person. Um, yeah. But if you're doing all things that are super, super fun, then like when my friends come over to write the musical with me, I'm genuinely excited in the same way I'd be excited to go to a friend's birthday party. And so it, when it doesn't feel exhausting, uh, your just bandwidth lasts longer. So finding those things that really ignite you and inspire you, I think would, will like, help with bandwidth but that doesn't mean that i don't get exhausted at times oh yeah you need to go sleep but you and i are both <laughs> sipping on coffee in the afternoon <laughs> this is my second one i'm like hella wait what kind of coffee do you drink um today is an iced latte with four pumps of sugar-free vanilla almond milk he likes his starbs people yeah if you want to deliver anything to his home you ain't getting the address from me <laughs> that's so cool to see dude because like so many times i think people have to ask themselves of what they need to give up you ain't gonna give up shit keep doing it all yeah. figure out how you're gonna allocate the time to do so yeah Speaking i'm definitely of, a scheduler yeah because you have to be yeah. schedule your time that you, you don't have to schedule a sleep but like i've seen people do that Schedule the times that you're working out. Schedule the times that you're meeting up with people personally. Schedule the times that you need yeah. to activate a project or like follow up with certain people or whatever that might be. Schedule the time that you need to go on a walk and listen to a podcast. Yeah. Once a day I have in my schedule for an hour called happy hour, but not alcohol involved. Happy hour is in like things that I've always loved, like watching Beachella on Netflix or like playing ping pong with my boyfriend. And like, I make sure to schedule that hour, which it's like, it's weirdly kind of dark thinking like you have to schedule an hour. I'm going to have fun in this hour, but at the same time it works for me. So it's a peace of mind act uh, actionable. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. 
Cause like if you don't schedule that time, you're just going to get lost thinking about all the things you could be doing outside of something you'd probably be doing to take care of yourself. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Man of the happy hour. That's, that's something we should go after men of the hour podcast, but yours could be man of the happy hour. Man of the happy hour. <laughs> oh, that's fun. And it won't be alcohol. It'll just be ping pong or some shit. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe alcohol too. Oh my gosh. Do you listen to podcasts? I do sometimes. Yeah. What kind of podcasts do you listen to? Um, I listen to this podcast called food, food for thought that I really like these like four hilarious gay men. Um, and then I listened to, I listened to one yesterday called the school of success, greatness, greatness the school of greatness. Yes. And then I, I'll listen to like murder uh, podcast. I never remember the names of them. I listen to a different one every day, but there was one where they write letters to these two girls and they like read these like murder letters. So oh, hell like, no. What's fascinating <laughs> like about that? that? No, you do. That's scary. Oh my God. I know. I'm like one of those people that like will watch snapped seven episodes in a row. Okay. Actually. Okay. I'll be honest with you. I did that maybe two months ago. I hated it, but I couldn't stop it. That's what it is about. The, the murder mystery shows crimes, uh, what is it called? Snapped, Dateline. Yeah. Fascination with the abomination. Yeah. It's not like you want to be a serial killer after, but you want to watch it to figure out how they did it and be like, whoa, how did you like not go to jail for life for that? Yeah, it's kind of you enjoy it in the same way you enjoy gossip. It's like, I got to know what's going on and what happened, even though it's not my business. <laughs> right? Yeah. Damn, we could keep talking forever. I got to ask you about the big picture. When you go into any project or Pentatonics goes into any project or you're asked to do a project like, wait, this musical is actually be really fun and you have to call me. I don't know what part I want to play, but I want to be a backup dancer or something. Oh my God, you're in. No audition necessary. No, please. Like I'm holding you to that. Meg? No, Meg jumped off the call, sadly. <laughs> but really, I think that'd be so dope to just be a backup dancer on like a high school musical, but whatever you're going to create. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that would be super fun. I've always wanted to be in a Broadway show, but like have like one of the, like a one song in the show. So I never have to stress, like I couldn't do like an Alphaba moment where she sings like 12 ballads at the top of her lungs. Too much. Eight shows a week? Um, vocal cords would hemorrhage week three. No way. Uh, ouch. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wait, big projects really fast. When you have to sure. think of like the end goal of those things, does that ever get overwhelming to you when you're asked like, Hey, we should do this. Do you think of the final picture, the final big picture of it? Or do you usually start with baby steps? Um, I think always like at the genesis of a project, it's really exciting. That's like the best part. Cause you're like, Holy shit. It could go this way. It could go this way. We could be, we'll be on Broadway and like it can star Ben Platt and like <laughs> you, and like you visualize these things and you're like a hundred percent sure that they're going to happen. Um, so the beginning is honestly the best part. And then you, and then the baby steps start, you start working, um, for the musical I'm working on, we just wrote the songs. For, well, we got like the outline of the story, but then we wrote songs first. Just started knocking out songs one at a time. And it felt overwhelming at first. And there's definitely those valleys where you're like, this is kind of bad and also going to take a really long time. And what did we get ourselves into? Um, but fortunately, the two guys I'm working with are very like good at pushing through that. So we always push through those tough valley moments. Um, and then slowly but surely, it's like three months later and you have, wait, we have 13 songs done and we have half the story done. And 
it just slowly comes together. So see you on Broadway, everyone. <laughs> that was a tease. I, I love that. It was a great, very, that's you manifesting. I think you have to do that in any creative industry, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. Because if you put yourself in the headspace where you honestly believe that you're going to achieve it, then, I mean, everything just feels better and you make better art. I don't even know how to describe it eloquently, but um, it, with the musical, there has been moments where I'm like, I just really don't know if this is strong enough. But I was like, you know what? It is strong enough and it's only going to get better. It's only going to get better. And it's not out yet. We can keep changing it. And we've been tweaking it and working on it. And then suddenly it starts to have this sheen of like professionalism. I'm like, oh, wait, no, this is so dope now. I'm like, this doesn't, because anything you start making, it's going to feel amateur at first, you know, you're, you're just kind of like figuring it out. But if you keep working on it, keep working on it, I'm like, oh shit, this is starting to like really come together. And then you can call all the people, like the teams and whoever else needs to help. Zhuzh. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. Agents, managers. That's it. Cause they'll help. <laughs> Do you know what the term zhuzh? Zhuzh. Yes, of course. <laughs> when did you first hear that? I heard it two years ago when I moved to New York. Um, like a few years ago, I think, I don't know. I was like hanging out with a group of gay people who just started using it. And they're like, just going to zhuzh my hair really quickly. And like, stuff like that. that's what it is. People said, if it's not like, hair or an email, just yeah, zhuzh yeah, it out. applied to everything. And I think Jasmine Masters originated it, the drag queen. I don't know though. Don't, don't hold me to that. On that, but I'm going to hold you to the fact that I'm going to be a backup dancer on this musical. Thousand percent. One thousand percent. See, I can't even <laughs> sing. That's why I'm going to be a fucking backup dancer. <laughs> Wait. What are you excited about for this year? It's about to close. I mean, listen, we're in May. And I don't know what the hell is going to happen for the rest of 2021, but I'm very excited because I think everybody's getting excited. And when I see people excited, I get excited. So what are you going to be excited about for the remainder of the year? I am excited about a lot of things. I mean, this is obvious, but I'm excited for things to slowly get back to normal. I'm excited to hug people and travel. And, you know, I feel like hanging out with people, concerts, events, any type of social gathering is just going to hit different. <laughs> like, Cause everyone's going to be like, I took you for granted. Like I never get, now that I haven't got to see you, I just need to hold you. Um, that means you guys can take the VIP meet and greet tickets and like triple the cost. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm also excited to just get back on the road and do shows and, um, and to see where like all these projects I started in the pandemic lead to. Yeah. I can't wait. I'm excited for you, Scott. Hoing. I'm never going to forget your last name now. I thought it was yeah. Hoi Ying because I just I wanted to pronounce the Y. Why would you pronounce the Y? Same reason you don't know that letter of the alphabet either, I'm sure, right? But no, your name is dope. Thank you uh, for your time, for Thank recording this audio. Me. You're the best. Everybody who is tuning in to this audio right now, you hear how crisp his microphone is? That's the Sure mic. They didn't pay for me to say that shit either. It is a dope <laughs> microphone that looks like I don't want to say, but like, it's just a weird looking mic that has amazing quality. He plugged his into a thing called Pro Tools. So any of you music enthusiasts, you should know this. Artists are like using actual apps on your computer to make music. Similar to what, I mean, you guys are lucky. You can sing and just sing into the mic and like use your mouth. 
people have their shit plugged into computers and then that's how they make their music. I mean, all of us know, I mean, they're starting to put up master classes and stuff now, which is super dope. Um, but for literally for spending the past, how, how long is this? 45 minutes, maybe. Anyway, we don't keep track, but <laughs> thank you. Thank you for saying yes to joining us on the show and uh, sharing everything you did with us. I know both of us are caffeinated on a Friday. Now we got the rest of our lives ahead of us to go have some fun, Scott. Like an hour. <laughs> Thanks again, Scott. Thank you. You've certainly heard all about our next guest, as he was our crowd favorite from season four, Shark Tank's very own Kevin O'Leary. You may think this man's all about the money, but during his episode, I was able to learn a lot about his upbringing and hobbies, which you'll certainly learn about from right now. Let's roll the audio and hear what Kevin had to say about lessons on business and life. Hey, Mr. Wonderful here, and I am the man of the hour with Justin this week, and we talked about a lot of things in life that really matter to everybody, including my new show, Money Court where I and Adam Pozo and Katie Fang settle real litigation. I mean, gut-wrenching, real financial disputes. But there's so much you can learn. And you're going to hear it all from Justin and I. Do not miss this episode. Hey, everyone. Thanks for clicking play. I really hope you're doing well and your Monday's off to a fine start. Justin Crawford here with Mr. Wonderful on this episode, Kevin O'Leary. Yes, that's the businessman from Shark Tank and someone you might not consider to have such an empathetic way of dealing with people by the way that he acts on the show, but that's surely something I learned about him throughout this entire chat today. Kevin's also got a new six-part series on CNBC called Money Court, which we also talk a lot about. And did you know he likes to play guitar and eat chocolate ice cream? We talk about all of that and more on this episode of the Men of the Hour podcast. Mr. Wonderful Kevin O'Leary. Thank you for saying yes to joining me, my friend. No problem. Glad to be here. Thank you. I'm really excited to have you. But before we get into anything, you've been really busy gearing up for Money Court, which is a new six-part series on CNBC, CNBC Prime even, the network that's all about business and money, where we also know you famously for being on Shark Tank. But what can you tell us about this new show, Money Court? You know, what's happened in America is that during the pandemic, and which is sort of ongoing in some situations, the court system really got backlogged. Mm. There are thousands of cases that have not been heard. And that's very difficult when you have real financial litigation because you're stymieing a business, you're slowing a business down, you're taking it off track. You're not servicing customers anymore. You're not servicing clientele or employees or your shareholders. It's catastrophic. And so many, many of these disputes are moving towards arbitration. And what Money Court is, is a real arbitration. These are real litigants, the real lawsuits. They're signing a contract that allows me to arbitrate the case. I have fantastic legal support in Adipozo, a formal judge on the federal bench, and also a trial attorney in Katie Fang. And so I've got contract lawyers, and I've also got a federal judge. This is a great way to actually look at these cases through the eyes of legal experts, but also a pragmatic view from Mr. Wonderful, who I think, you know, if I may say so, uh, does a good job in trying to figure out how to solve for the business. Mm. And then from having done the show already, I I know you guys probably selectively picked those cases out um, to show people what it was going to be like. What was it like behind the scenes in terms of you? I mean, I'm sure you had your hands in production as well. What was that like for you? You know, what, what, what I learned, and you never know when you start a new format like this, what's actually mm. going to happen, but 
these these cases are not like the typical legal uh, reality show where somebody's complaining that the neighbor's cat is making noise at night. Uh, <laughs> people are are really um, involved in in real litigation. They are suing each other, and sometimes they're family members. Sometimes it's a tenant landlord. Sometimes it's a business partnership that's falling apart. It's extremely emotional. Um, mm. Very difficult moments sometimes, but I must say very compelling television and um i i am very first of all I'm, I'm very pleased with all the critics reviews and you know including the wall street journal yesterday i mean they're they're saying that this show um has merit and that's important to me because i feel like in some ways an artist bringing it to the market and hoping that it's going to work and i think it is mm. Well, we're going to have to tune in to find out. Premieres August 11th at 10 p.m. Eastern on CNBC. You guys tune into that one. I think it'll, it'll already be out uh, by the time this comes out. Kevin, you said the word artist, and I have to bring this up because I learned recently uh, that, that you almost went down the road of photography and artistry or you know creative art to some capacity. You could have went down that road and you chose not to. So one, I wanted to ask you why you didn't go down that road. And then how does now being in the business world uh, with everything that you do, how does art and creativity kind of unfold into your day and day, if at all? I'm a big believer in the concept of yin and yang in business. Great managers, great investors, uh, great entrepreneurs also have a chaotic side in the arts. Either they paint or they do photography, they play guitar or they collect watches, you know, some, yeah. some of the things I do that, that give them a, a different perspective so that, you know, the intensity of, of investing in entrepreneurship and operating businesses is extremely uh, focused. And yet you need the chaos of art to balance your thinking and your creative process. So I, I think for me, it's important that I do both of these things. And, you know, even at the hotel, when I get back tonight, I have a guitar waiting there. Um, I, I jam every night. I, I just, I want to let those, those frustrations out on the keyboard and, and, and just let it happen yeah. or on the rest of my guitar or whatever. And, and to me, that's balance and you need to be balanced in your life. You need to be, if you're going to be creative, you need to be balanced. Because mm. then on the other end of that, I would assume people who are creative also want some type of, um, you know, uniform organization of what a businessman will probably do on his day to day. You say guitar. That's so interesting. I had no idea you would have even played guitar. What's your favorite song to play? I love Steely Dan. Um, okay. Jazz fusion, really hard to do their leads. I mean, it reeling in the years is one of the hardest lead guitars to play. And, and a lot of the licks in, in those tracks, try and play Asia, try and do <laughs> the lead on the actual track Asia. My son is better than I am. He, he can actually do it. But even the guy that played it mm. years and years ago on the original album, if you go back and you can find this online, he can't do it again. Nobody can. Mm. I mean, he was doing three notes where there should only be one. It was just an incredible day they got they laid that track down in the afternoon after lunch and they nailed it and i mean those are the kind of the iconic music moments but I, you know i appreciate that as someone who tries to i'll never be uh the guitarist i want to be mm. uh, that's why i continue to play and i just try and get better all the time yeah I, I used to say the same thing about singing, right? Because I think in the music world, you and I are probably the realists who will say, oh, I'll never be the best guitarist. I'll never be the best singer, but it's still good to have those outlets. Why would you recommend people who you know, are looking for a creative outlet to maybe dabble into like art or music and anything creative? 
Yeah. I mean, look, singing is either you have that talent or you don't. You yeah. can't make yourself sing. I'm a shitty singer, but I can play guitar with anybody. So, you know, I try and do what I can do. And when it comes to watch collecting, you'll have a hard time beating me. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. I bet you would say the same thing about chess. I got to ask you about your mom. I mean, you brought up your son. I'm sure he's learning a lot from you, but you also learned a lot from your mother. I know uh, when it came to money and business, but I wanted to ask you if anything's kind of stuck with you over the years, if you, as you become super successful in what you do, um, either things your mom told you or words that she may have said that still stick with you today. Yeah. You know, she was very influential in a couple of things uh, that, that I never really, when she told me at that, that time, I never thought about it that much, but they became very, very important to me later in life. One of them, when I think I was 14, she said, Kevin, if you only tell the truth, you'll never have to remember what you said. And th that's taken me down a different path. I mean, you know, I don't lie. I tell the truth and I get in a lot of trouble and, you know, Shark Tank, for example, they call me the mean shark. I'm the only shark that tells the truth. If your idea has no merit and you're going to go bankrupt, you're going to wipe out your family by mortgaging your house. That's a really stupid thing to do. And yet the other sharks will say, well, you keep doing what you're doing. I'm not going to invest in you. That's very disingenuous. I don't, I don't do that. So I get in trouble for that. And also sometimes people would rather be lied to, which mm. is bad. Uh, I don't do that. And, and, and I think that at the end of the day, it gets me into a different place. And when we were casting for money court, one of the litigants said, I don't really like that, Mr. Wonderful Guy, but I trust him. So I'll mm -hmm. sign this contract. I'll let him uh, mitigate my case or arbitration, you know, be the arbitration on this case. And, um, you know, I, I would rather be trusted than win a popularity contest. That's the way I look at it. Yeah. And then, I mean, to the point of the litigator, I wonder if people often will look at someone who's honest or truthful as aggressive or, you know, a little too harsh and rude for to some extent. How do you counter that? So for example, when I've seen Shark Tank, I wouldn't necessarily look at you who someone's like a, a dick or, you know, rude to people. It's almost like presentation might be part of why people would get offended, but in your eyes and in your words, how do you kind of make sure that you don't get in your head about, all right, no, I'm just telling you the truth as opposed to trying to like hurt your feelings or, you know, be too nice about it. Yeah, I mean, I think people now know me. I mean, that's probably um, good and bad, but I think uh, that reputation um, is out there. Uh, I'm, I'm proud of it. I think, you know, for someone to actually say that is willing to take their, their, their litigation, their, their financial litigation, a real lawsuit and let me settle it. Uh, I respect that. I really do. And we don't have to like each other and we don't. Um, but that doesn't matter because at the end of the day, I'm trying to solve a big problem. And we all are collectively litigation destroys businesses, destroys families, destroys relationships, destroys marriage, destroys everything. There's nothing good about it. Nothing. Mm. And, and, you know, if you have the ability as I do now in money court to solve that problem, that's a big responsibility. There's some cases that you're going to see in the weeks ahead that are absolutely brutal. I mean, they are just brutal. I'm talking about mothers suing their daughters, that kind of thing. And, and you don't realize how hard that is emotionally when, until you're in it, until you're there, then you have to make that decision. It's on your shoulders. These people have trusted their lives in your hands. I have to tell you, it really, I was not prepared for that. And I didn't think of it that way. I was whimsical going into the shoot, mm -hmm. but it really dragged some hard, hard 
moments out of me. And, and I, I think back, um, on the other hand, it was incredible television. I mean, I remember when we were shooting the show and I've made a lot of television in mm -hmm. the years past. And when you go into a professional studio like that, we were at the Telemundo studios at NBC universal, one of the best facilities I've ever seen, maybe, you know, 150 people on the cast, lighting technicians, sound people, cameramen, all that. These are professionals. They don't, watch television they make television so you don't they don't get dragged into the moment of a reality show however mm. there were moments in the making of uh what was going on in in you know money court and i'll tell you um i looked over to the right and there's always a line feed a cut going on and i saw the the, the crew watching the line feed tears coming out of their eyes mm totally engaged. And I thought to myself, Oh, my goodness, we have a monster hit here. And I'm sure I'm right. And and so, yeah, you know, we'll see let the let the audience decide. But when people that are professionals that, that don't watch television that make television, start watching television, you know, something's happening that's very, very uh, gut wrenching and, and, and compelling. Mm. Um, that's what was going on. I think to your point too, a lot of what you do is always going to be within people's livelihoods, it seems, whether it's Shark Tank and someone's launching a business and you you brought it up a second ago where they may be putting way too much of their own personal money into something and that might be a stupid idea or similar to Money Court, this is their life and this is their problem and, and you're trying to solve that. As you're trying to solve these problems though, Kevin, I have to ask you, do you ever tell yourself that you need to separate and pull the emotion out of the work that you're doing? You know, that's a great question because in business, there is no room for emotions. People try and tell you that you should let your emotions make financial decisions. Really bad idea. And in the case of Money Court, I really, really struggled, particularly when it was families at stake. And there were cases like that where very successful family businesses were in the middle of litigation. Mm. It was really hard. And, and I asked Ada Pozo, who was a federal judge and sat on the bench for a long time when we were deliberating some of these cases and Katie, a terrific, you know, contract lawyer, how do you do it? How do you, how do you sit there in your robes and, and listen to these people and not like one over the other or whatever it's going to be. And you have to make life changing decisions, including imprisoning them, going to prison, changing, altering their lives forever, forever. How can you, how can you possibly not get emotionally involved in that? Hmm. And that discipline is what makes a great lawyer, makes a great judge, makes a great investor, the ability it, it, in moments like that. And that, it, that gave me strength in this thing, because I realized I put myself in a situation where I was going to make life altering decisions for these people. Mm -hmm. We were not trying frivolous cases. We were trying real financial crises. And, and that, it's changed me a little bit. I'll be honest with you. You'll see it in tonight's episode. You'll see it. It's, it's, I think this show is going to be, it's going to last forever because mm -hmm. there's so many cases that have to be, you know, resolved. Mm. And it sounds like it, it did something personally for you too. So I'm excited to see it. I wonder, you know, so I'm 25 and I wanted to bring this up as the host of the show, because I think that when people are reflecting back on a lot of the things that they've accomplished and all the good, all the bad, you know, the pretty and the ugly, I wanted to ask you, um, 
knowing all that you know now about where you're at in your life, where, like, what would you tell your 25 year old self? That's a great question. Um, you know, the, the challenge to answering that is, would I go back and change anything? And the answer would be no. The mistakes I made on the journey are just as important as the successes because I wouldn't have learned from them. And so, you know, I, I can't say that I would have, I don't want that right to go back and tell myself anything. I would have changed my life in a way that I think may, I, I'm happy where I am and I want to keep doing what I do. Mm you know, I don't need any more money. Um, uh, I, I need more time. That's what is more valuable. When you're young, you don't put a lot of weight on time. When you get older, you put a lot of weight on it. And you yeah. realize it's the number one asset you have. Um, I'm very, very fortunate. I'm very lucky. I, I always tell people entrepreneurship uh, and that journey is exactly that. It's not a destination. It's a journey. You, you're never finished that journey. And yeah. you don't do it for the greed of money. You do it for the pursuit of personal freedom. I do things today that, that I want to do. And I'm very mm. fortunate I don't have to do anything I don't want to. Uh, but there comes a certain responsibility and certainly uh, money court is a great example. You know, if I'm going to be doing this more, if I'm going to be, um, you know, really deciding on these disputes, I realize I've taken on a new responsibility and I have to respect these people because they are in life-changing situations. You will see it. When you watch this show, you will see it. This is not like any other uh, legal reality show you've ever seen. This is the real deal. Real deal. Got to ask you as a businessman now, and I, I was excited to ask them, uh, this one because I know a lot of you who are listening probably would want to hear Kevin uh, give, give one piece of advice. But as I'm teeing up this question, if you think of one thing, we're just going to ask for one, uh, for one answer here. But if there's any small and attainable thing that people can do each day or today uh, to get closer to financial freedom. What would you recommend that one thing is? Very simple. Save 10% of what you make and invest it for the long term. It sounds so simple. It's so hard to change people's spending behaviors. Everybody buys too much crap. They just buy crap they don't need. Our whole society and our whole marketing you know, uh, society is all about selling you crap you don't need. Mm -hmm. And you need to save 10% of what you make. Even the average salary in America, $54,000, if you're able to take 10% and put it into the market each week or each month, by the time you retire, you'll have a million and a half in the bank if the markets continue to do what they always do, which is give you six to 8% a year. And so it's really, really difficult to do that. But if, you're, if you want to change your life, start today, save 10% of what you make. Mm. I know I couldn't have said it like that, which is why I had to ask you the question. <laughs> I have to ask you a fun question as we wrap, Kevin. Um, I know that your first job was in an ice cream parlor and you learned a lot about being a businessman through that first job. So this final question is a two-parter. If you had to create the top ultimate ice cream flavor, what would the flavor be? And then would you put it in a sugar cone, waffle cone, or cup? I would put it in a waffle cone and it would be straight chocolate ice cream nothing tastes better than that on earth and i am an ice cream expert and have been my whole life you don't have to mess around with tri flavors you don't have to do all kinds of other stuff you just need good chocolate ice cream in a waffle cone and that is as good as it gets in life period period 
Kevin, Mr. Wonderful, not only for coming on the show, uh, but for everything you've said. I'm so thankful you said yes to joining me on this episode. And I got to say, when you're going to play your guitar, I now envision you having chocolate ice cream in a waffle cone on <laughs> that couch with you as you play. Uh, it was so great getting to know you. And I know that everything you said, um, if you're listening right now, hopefully it was super helpful for you to many degrees. I think Kevin brought a lot to the table with what he had been going through personally, the, and then all the latest with the new show Money Court, which airs August 11th at 10 p.m. Eastern. Mr. Wonderful, thank you. Thank you. Take care, my friend. Our final conversation today is with the almighty Sugar Ray Leonard, one of the first athletes that came to this podcast. Everything Sugar had to say about life's lessons and staying true to who you are resonated so well that he was the top episode in season five. And I wanted to play it back for you all tuning in right now to remind you that no matter where you are in life and what you're doing, if you chase what you love and master the craft of it, you're going to end up exactly where you need to be. Here's Ray's episode on how to live a good life, give back and strive for happiness. Hey, I'm Sugar Ray Leonard, the man of the hour, and uh, had a great conversation with Justin, and uh, something may happen pretty soon. I, I'm not going to tell you, but something may happen, and it's good, though. It's fun. <laughs> Hey everyone, this is Justin Crawford, and thank you for clicking on this episode of the Men of the Hour podcast. Today I'm joined by boxing legend, philanthropist, and motivational speaker, Sugar Ray Leonard. And boy, does he share a lot of great thoughts throughout this entire conversation. We had such a great time chatting about his life in and out of the ring, why he's always been such a giving person, and what simple things can make our lives so much happier than we could have ever imagined. Let's get right into it. So I think you've spent plenty of time in and out of the ring you know, fighting people and, and doing the whole boxing thing. But I know that something had to have been on your mind for a very long time that this was going to be how it played out for you. But I wanted to ask that to you first. Did you did you foresee your future of boxing and your life to be played out this way that it has so successfully over the years? You, you know, Justin, I've been a very blessed man. I mean, I've been a fighter for, what, 50 years. And to have come out of the ring unscathed, pretty much, Mm. Uh, that's a blessing, man. And now to reciprocate, to give back, to make a difference with someone else's life uh, or part of that life, it's, it's a wonderful thing, man. It's very, it feels good. Yeah. And I think that's something that, I mean, I call this the quote unquote, if you're watching uh, the feel good podcast, because I think something that is important to note about the most influential men in the world, like yourself, is that you end up going down this path of using your influence for good. When was that pivotal moment for you though? I want to, you know, I'm, I'm curious to know what, like maybe what year was it? Or was there a particular moment for you where you told yourself, you know what, it, it's time for me to take all of this extraordinary brand and career that I built throughout boxing and, and so on and so forth, and now turn it into something like you had said to, to do good with it. Well, from day one, the minute I was born, my mother and father, injected in me to give back, to always try to help someone else out. So that's been embedded in my mind and my heart from day one. Mm. Uh, they've always said, don't ever forget where you came from. And I think that's a big factor in how I, how, how I'm, I react or things I do. Mm. I just try to give back. 
Can you give us a better understanding on the thought process though, when you're making decisions in life, this is actually really interesting. I didn't think we would start um, going deeper into this conversation, but I feel like when people make decisions in life, knowing that it's rooted in a better cause or a bigger purpose, similar to how I'm sure you grew up, is that something you have to stop and tell yourself, like I'm doing this because I know it's for the better good, or I know there's a purpose behind it, or just it's muscle memory at some point. It's like muscle memory. It's, uh, mm. it, it's again, you know, just, it just it's, it's embedded in me. It's, it's who I am and, and who I turn out to be. Mm. The fact that, you know, with diabetes, I mean, my father was diabetic. Um, my friends, either they were or their kids were or their friends were. However, mm. um, that was one of those things, one factors that I said, you know what? I want to. I want to help. I want to be a part of this, and that's how it happened to me. Just all of a sudden. Mm. And we'll talk more about that here in just a moment, Ray. With your boxing career, though, I got to ask you about when you started to win more matches and when you went throughout the career of boxing. This idea of winning, I think, is what people are constantly chasing. And I wanted to bring this up as a talking point because I. I, I know I'm guilty of it. I think a lot of people are. It's like, I just want to win. I just want to be the best of the best. But how did you balance that, um, you know, that that thought maybe sometimes going into the ring or just pursuing everything that you were doing over the years? How did you balance that while knowing sometimes you aren't going to necessarily win? You know, that's a very good question. In fact, I, I, I do motivational speaking mm. for 30 years or more. Uh, and I use boxing, fighting as a metaphor that, you know, life is a fight, no question about that, for your health, for your respect, for your job, for your kids, for your family. All boxing or fighting is always, always there, always present. Mm. And so, but as me as a boxer, a fighter in the ring, you know, I believe I could win. I always believe I can win if I did my due diligence. I did the road work. I did the... You know, all those things. Mm. Uh, and now me and life itself, you know, life is still a fight. And it's a fight that, for the most part, we can win if we mm -hmm. give it our all. What about life makes it a fight? Because that's so true. But break that down for us, if you don't mind. In your eyes, what has made this a fight for you? Because nothing in life is easy. I mean, mm. happy is not easy. Uh, being successful is not easy. I mean, everything, every, again, I'm, I'm trying to simplify this. Everything in life, you got to fight for. You got to fight for the respect that you should be getting from people in general. Mm. Uh, you got to fight. I mean, you're going to work, you're, uh, taking care of your kids, taking care of your family, taking care of your, your friends. I mean, all these things are factors. And, uh, I don't know. I, it, this is the way I am because if you met me, I'm not as like rugged and tough and everything. I'm I'm so simple. My wife couldn't believe I was a fighter for so long because she said, you you look so. She called me wimp. <laughs> she called me a little. <laughs> yes, she did. I, you shocked? I was shocked when she said that. And she <laughs> ain't calling you sugar yet. Oh, it's getting close. It's getting close. Yeah, come on. I think I'm closing in now. You know? so she called you a wimp. Yeah, she called me a wimp, and 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 because she, I was like, oh, you know, ah, I don't, do, I don't do those things. You know, this is who I am, 
But in that ring, Justin, in that mm. ring, I was pretty tough. Yeah. <laughs> I admire so much of what you've done. You know, I think that's a lot of the times what people are, um, they're, almost, they're, they're misperceived. You know, people would think you'd be this rugged, tough man that does nothing but fight people, keep an aggressive attitude. And it's the opposite. I'm, I'm so and humble. Um, again, I appreciate and uh, I cry. I mean, you know, yeah. when there's reasons. And, uh, you know, I, listen, put it this way. I I am what I am in the, in the ring. I, I'm tough. But outside mm. of the ring, I'm respectful. I, I try to be, remain respectful. And you know what? It's so simple yet so hard. I think it's difficult. You're exactly right. It's difficult to play both ends. I, you know, there's a spectrum here of personality that I think you're alluding to. And many times people are trying to be one or the other. Tell us how you can achieve being both. You can be the aggressive, the rugged sometimes, and you know, the stern, but then also you, you need the soft hearted one that can cry. When it's needed. And, you know, sometimes you got to stand up for what you believe in. You have to believe in or, or, or speak up mm. and be quiet and like I, you know sometimes I don't heed my own advice but I, I normally when things bother me sometimes I'll keep it inside of me uh -huh. that's, not, that's not good you should vent you should mm. let go of whatever's bothering you and it could be as petty or as significant I mean but you just have to let go of it mm. it's toxin, it's toxin. Let, let go of that Mm hmm. Or sit in a sauna and let it let the toxins sweat out. No. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, that's right. That's right. You know, that could be half the battle. The other. It's a different kind of sweat. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you're right. It's toxic to leave any of that stuff inside. Who, who do you tell these things to? So when you're going through a rough day or if you can imagine your toughest loss in the ring, who was the first person you'd go to? Myself. My God. Mm. My God. You know, I. Listen, I, you know, I was raised Baptist. Mm -hmm. and, uh, I prayed, even when I was an amateur boxer, I prayed. And I never, I never prayed to win. I prayed no one got hurt. Even as a professional fighter, I never prayed to win. I prayed no one got hurt. Mm. And it's been, it's been, it's been nice. A little more on boxing, right? When it comes to a lot of the times that you were, whether or not you were fighting the person or you started watching these other matches over the years, do you think people went into that ring wanting to win more than to, to make sure no one else got hurt? I can't watch a boxing match, to be honest with you. Besides some of the tapes I've seen of you, I, I can't watch it without thinking to myself, oh my God, that's so much anger. Oh my God, he's about to get knocked out. Oh my God, that's so much blood. Control anger. It's, mm. it's composure. It's... Believe, again, and I'm redundant upon this, it's believing in yourself because if you don't, no one else will. Mm -hmm. it's, it's what I call tunnel vision. Um, there's a lot of thinking involved from, from my perspective when I was in the ring. I, I break down you, like if I was fighting you tomorrow, mm. I would find out your weak points, and your strong points, and I would play to that. Play to that, yeah. It's very strategic of you. So if oh, we get in a ring together, you can whoop my ass. I hope you know that. No, no. How much you? How much do you weigh, by the way? Uh, one forty. No, one fifty. Okay. All right. No, no. I, <laughs> it's a good fight. Oh no, no. Maybe we can do an exhibition. 
I would love that. I'll teach you how to do backflips so we can do, so we can like do the match and then do back. I was a cheerleader. So I, I my backflip is my party trick. Okay. Okay. But I don't, okay. Okay. <laughs> you get me on that treadmill behind you, Ray, and I'm going to teach you how to do backflip. Deal. All right. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Can, <laughs> can we get into this bigger picture of living a life of service for one moment? So I know you have um, the Sugar Ray Leonard Foundation which we'll get to. And hopefully it comes into some of the things we're going to talk about now, but someone looks at you or I would look at you rather. Let's, let's, let's play it that way. I looked at you when I was researching and I think to myself, this man has lived a life of service, which is why it was at the top of our conversation. And I'd asked you, was there any point in time or pivotal moment? And you said it was when you were born. And I think that's a very special thing because a lot of people are still discovering how to find that in their life. Part of the reason I launched this podcast was I think, you know, very influential, influential men like you are able to provide some insight as to how to maybe create that if they haven't yet already done so. Because you could imagine how many people are in jobs or living a life where they feel very selfish and it's because they're not necessarily giving as much as they're receiving, right? The, the definition of net positive essentially is that, you know, you give more than you take. And then we all know it comes to uh, twofold once you start giving more, but for you, I mean, you've already dedicated so much, especially after having gone through diabetes and, and, you know, your family then to go and help other people in that area of their lives. How do you think if someone wanted to dedicate their life, you know, and be of service to other people, they could either begin to do so, or from your experiences, maybe pick it up at any point. That, you know, my, my answer to that is quite simple. It's just that you care. You actually have to care. I mean, nothing can work or nothing can, you can't be effective unless you care. Mm. And, um, again, I, I get this from my, my, my parents. Uh, and I get this from what I see. I mean, I see people reaching out, um, uh, making donations, things of that nature. I mean, you do what you can, mm. as much as you can. That, that's what you know you can just say hey are you okay i mean even saying that is let's say it costs nothing just be mm -hmm. nice just be nice to yourself and to others mm -hmm. and then time is limited too you know we're 15 minutes into this podcast a mile ago we were we already halfway through this thing but it's it's true and i oftentimes for me i mean i'm 25 but i keep asking myself the question of like when will we get to a point where everybody will want to help someone or ask that important question of, are you okay? You know, without thinking that they're going to get something out of it. If, if you had to give maybe an idea as to when that time would be, when is that? Do you think that it's always going to be an issue that we have, you know, not as much help and good in the world as we need? Well, I, I think, I think everyone, I think everyone cares about someone at some point. Mm. Uh, I mean, it's, it's not easy to answer that type of question mm. because, I mean, you, we want the world, in fact, we want the world, we want our country uh, to be better than it is, uh, the world to be better than it is. But, um, you know, all, all I do is pray and all I do, I do my, I do my, my due diligence. Mm -hmm. to, act, to make a difference, to make an impact. I made an impact. Check this out, Justin. I made a huge impact in the boxing ring, mm. but I want to make an even larger impact by being someone that's saying, well, he wasn't only just 
champion in the ring, but outside the ring too. I mean, that's as corny as that may sound. It's it's what I want. In and out of the ring. Was there ever a point? We're gonna go between boxing and life here for a second. It, it was. Did someone ever tell you something, right, in your mind that you you were making an impact in that ring, or did you know deep down that that was, you know, kind of what was being built? That was that was a, a natural thing just because of who my opposition is. Mm. Tommy Hearns, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler. I mean, that individual had a name, especially in the, in the art of boxing. But, uh, you know, I, we all have, we all have a love for, for winning mm. inside and outside the ring. So it's, you know, it's getting a bit complicated now because I'm, I'm I'm confusing myself, but I know it's real. I mean, you do what you do, but you, you also give back. Mm-hmm. Well, I give back. I want to give back. I want to help others. Yeah. And I think you love doing that too, which is mm-hmm. clear as day to see, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I feel good about that. You know what? When I, when I give something to someone, I mean, whether it's someone on the street which I've done a zillion times, you know, I'm just doing that because, because I can, mm. because financially I can't, I gave, and I've given probably a, a million people on the streets because I, I feel bad. I feel bad for them. Mm. So just keep giving. Just keep giving. And not, and always not monetarily, but just sure. say, Hey, are you okay? You okay? Mm. That kind of thing. Yeah. Because I think, did, did you ever tell yourself that that might've been your calling to do boxing and then now to do what you're doing? Without question. I, I think it's God gifted uh, to be a boxing a champion mm. and, and to, to inspire people, to help people to make a difference in, in their lives, just for, whether it's for an hour or a year mm-hmm. to make a difference in someone's life. Just to say, hi, are you okay? Ask someone that. Are you okay? And I, I do that. I find myself, hi, how you doing? How you doing? I mean, I just want to ask you how you're doing. And that person lives on the street. I mean, that's, that's, that's special to them. Mm-hmm. It really is. I feel. Yeah, 100%. We're on your foundation. Where do you want to take it? I know you said that you want to keep doing it. You'll probably do it for a very long time, if not the rest of your life. But where where do you see it going from here? Dustin, I'm going to do it until we knock out diabetes. Mm. I want part of that. I, until we knock out diabetes, until we understand and eradicate, knock out diabetes, I'm going to be there. Mm. And then educate us for a moment here. I think people, when they think of diabetes, it's often hereditary. And something I was thinking about, you know, when, when we were planning to interview you, I was like, you know what? I feel like at some point we're, we need to be able to knock out diabetes and cancer and, you know, all these other hereditary diseases that people have sadly suffered through. And we all know someone with diabetes at this point and it affects our life tremendously, but, and I'm sure you've been talking with a lot of doctors and, and coaches of people and such, and anybody who donates, I'm sure is somewhat affiliated with diabetes to some extent, but what's been the biggest shocking statistic to you since launching the foundation? 
Well, you know, the fact is, you can't. You if you if you look at me or look at Joe Blow or look at him or her, mm. you don't know they're diabetic. I mean, right. It's it's you 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 couldn't tell for the most part. But it, it, again, you know, I just want I just want to be involved. I want to be a part of that moment, and I hope it comes sooner than later. That moment when we say. No more diabetes, no more mm. diabetes. I want to be a part of that. I want my yeah. I want my hands raised when they say that. Just like he did in the ring, folks. Hands were up right when you put them belts on. <laughs> exactly. I'm exactly. sure you're still strong as ever, man. I'm telling you, this exhibition run, you're gonna kick my butt, and it's gonna be it's gonna be very interesting to watch. Just, just don't train. Because it's not necessary. If I'm gonna go up against someone like you in a ring, you kidding? I have to go train probably for six months. Just do that. Make sure you do this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, me gosh. All right. Can we talk about our children, our future for one moment? The reason I wrote this down is because I think someone like you, as much as you're investing into uh, the, the future of defeating diabetes and you're always giving to people, and I could only imagine how many people you've given money on the side of the street. I know that you have a passion for um, the upcoming generations and investing in future leaders of the world. So it's something I wanted to bring up for a few moments, but how important do you feel like it is to invest in children right now, upcoming generations, and then more importantly, how have you been able to do that and done so successfully, I'm sure? Well, every day I try to be a better father. I mean, um, you know, when I, my career started, naturally I was never, I wasn't home that often. I was always on the road and training mm-hmm. and that. But um, even today, you know, I have four lovely kids. Uh, t- all, of them, all of them are taller than I am. <laughs> but, uh, I just, you know, I, I naturally want to let them live their own lives. And you don't want to force anything upon them, but just give them some encouragement. Because this society, this, 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 what we live in today, it, it's so complicated. Mm. But let, let your kids be kids. And I learned that somewhat the hard way. You know, I just... I learned to listen. My wife tells me this all the time. Learn to listen sometimes because a lot of times, you know, you don't give your kid a chance to talk or express themselves or they feel, they feel, they, they feel you, they feel you, you know, they want to say so much. But my kids, they, they say what's on their mind. And I, I like that, but it's everything within reason. You know what I mean? Within mm-hmm. reason. There's no one thing that, happen that can make life perfect because there's no perfect in life mm-hmm. and, uh, you know i have great kids i love my kids and uh, i'm so proud of them mm. i love that and it all starts in the household and awesome. this beautiful house of yours with all these pictures and treadmills and weights you're making me want to go work out i feel bad i even did a workout this morning you haven't worked out i work out every day oh, no, today. oh i did today? mm-hmm so you're okay, you're okay. Yeah, but Jeff. you have it behind you. I, I need weights behind me too. I just, well, I just finished working out. You're a legend, that's why. So <laughs> here's what I have to say. You brought up an incredible point, which is listening. And I always tell people you will get every answer you need if you just open your ears. You know, because oftentimes, and I remember telling myself this growing up, I think almost everybody wants to be seen, heard, and understood. And you cannot get to that point with someone else until you listen. 
and especially with children, like, you know, it starts in the household, like I'd said earlier. And, and, and people often now are saying that it's so complicated that they don't want to deal with upcoming generations, or they're looking at the social media, TikTok, Instagram type children and all that shenanigans that they're getting into. But long behold, now I'm educating my family on maybe social media or like they think that I'm doing 17 million things when they weren't doing this many things at my age and similar to your kids. You know, it looks like this is such a complex, oversaturated generation and and full of things that maybe could be distracting and stuff. But you could also learn, I think, a lot from what's happening through your kids. Yeah, I mean, I, I tr- you know, I, I have conversations with my kids and sometimes I find myself telling them something, but then I don't, I don't do it myself. You know, I said, mm. don't, don't look at the uh, cell phone when you're driving. And then I catch myself. Mm. I can't say this to them, and I'm doing it. It's a lot of little things, a little and petty things sometimes. But uh, when when I admit to that, I say, I'm sorry because I, and I'm telling you what I'm doing. I don't, mm. you know. Baby life, steps. Life is what you say. Ba- okay, baby steps. Exactly. Baby right. steps. And, and that, it goes back to what you said earlier, which is life is a fight. It's not going to be easy, right? Especially when you have kids. You brought that up earlier too. Yes, yes. I, but you know? you know, you know, but you know, I'm happy where I am. Mm. Do I want to get better? Absolutely. I always want to get better. And um, again, I always I'm redundant upon this, but life is indeed what you make it. Mm. I was going to leave you with this term called unconditional resilience. And then I started asking myself what the hell I even meant by writing that down. So instead, I want to ask you, Ray Leonard, how do you think you've gotten to such a comfortable place of happiness? I think people oftentimes are, I'm happy, I'm happy, I'm good, I'm good, right? But I think you're actually happy and you're actually satisfied with what you've done with your life. And it's because you seem so intentional. But if you could walk us through quickly how you've done that. For yourself first of all i have the most incredible wife bernadette uh, we've been married for what 29 years uh she's an amazing lady she saved my life when i was going that way mm. and doing some crazy things uh i have incredible kids uh my mom still my mom she's 93 my dad passed away uh, a couple of years ago, 95. Uh, I have incredible friends. And uh, I am enjoy talking to you. Oh, you too, my friend. Life is great, man. I mean, yeah. And I, but sometimes I catch myself. I'll be complaining about, well, this is not going on right. This is not happening here. Uh, I, hey, just be quiet and, and go to work or do something for someone else. Or make someone else smile. Not even family, but someone else. Make someone else put a smile on their face. And whatever it takes to do that. Well, I and that's love easy. That. Yeah. It's that, easy. Cost it's nothing. Cost nothing. Just say just say hi. How's your day? And it's who you keep around and your perspective. Everything you said is so crazy, amazing, and you're a legend. People love you. We've loved you for many, many, many years. And again, I can't thank you enough for this entire conversation we just had. Well, Justin, thank you. And uh, I won't knock you out, but you know, <laughs> you know you were in the ring with me. The next time you all catch Ray and I together, we're going to be an exhibition match, and he might knock me the hell out. Not in the hay, but if I catch you on a backflip, maybe not. 
Absolutely. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Thank you again, my friend. This was a fantastic interview. For sure. Thank you, man. Friends, I hope 2021 has been an extraordinary year of learning and growing while tuning into this podcast and hearing from some of today's most influential men. If you subscribed and came back each week, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Launching this podcast was one of the best things that could have happened to me in the past year, but I want you to know that I did it because I knew my guests had a lot more to them that I could share with each of you to learn from in the best ways, spread a ton of positivity, and inspire you to do great things for yourself and those around you. After all, that's what it's all about in this great life we have. I look forward to bringing each of you more conversations like the ones you heard today, and I cannot wait to keep the show going. Until next time, I hope each of you and your families have a very happy and healthy start to the new year. And as always, thanks for clicking play when you could have chose any other podcast. I'm your host, Justin Crawford, and I will chat with you again in 2022.